chant to a real God. Get on your knees right now and pay homage to Brian Pillman. And that on Saturday night, June 22nd, Hardcore Heaven 1996, Paul Varlins of Ultimate Fighting will take on Taz of Extreme Championship Wrestling. Tyler, don't! Daddy, you're drunk! Now, I want your craving! My name is Bubba Ray Dudley! He got it! He did it! He said it! Hello, my name is Rory McNamara. Welcome to Volume 3 of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Today we're going back in the time machine to June 1996 to look at all things ECW. Volume 1, we'll be taking a look at uh, WWF, specifically the King of the Ring pay-per-view. Volume 2 has got all your WCW news, including a look at the Great American Bash. And like I say, we've got a very busy month of uh, ECW action here. I'm joined by Mr. Del Muir. Del, how are you? Hello, Rory. Thanks for joining us. Absolute pleasure. I've got Stephen Hobwarson. How are you, Stephen, sir? I'm very well. I'm very well, thank you. I'm very glad to hear it. They'll kick us off with the the big news this month. Yeah, first up, Rory, Brian Pillman made his return to ECW and the Wrestling World this month after his automobile accident on the June 1st Fight the Power event. He turned up in a wheelchair, cut a heel promo on Mikey Whipwreck and then joined forces with Rob Van Dam. However, uh, the real story really came after. It was during an in-ring interview with Joey Styles. Pillman reportedly used the N-word while making reference to the gangsters. The exact context, the, the use of the word, doesn't it? They seem to be related to the group NWA, but it is unclear at this point. What is certain is that New Jack berated Pillman backstage for his use of the term, even threatening to immediately quit the company over it, but then reconsidered after pleas from Paul Heyman. Pillman is now officially signed with the WWF. If you've not heard that already, you can hear the full details of that in Volume 1 of this month's show. Although at time of recording, it is still reported they could be appearing at the ECW house shows at the end of the month. Speaking of shoots, ECW staged two Taz matches this month, which were both presented uh, as legitimate fights. These took place on 1st of June against the uh, Muay Thai fighter Jason Helton, which Taz won in uh, about two minutes. And after a lot of fanfare, UFC's very own Paul uh, Valens on the 22nd of June, uh, the Hardcore Heaven show, um, which Taz also won suspiciously easy, uh, albeit with uh, interference from Saturn. Unsurprisingly, neither of these matches were actual shoots, of course. The situation with Valens in particular would become uh, extremely volatile, with many arguments raging backstage over the finish of the match, the believability of his defeat, and even what his own goals from professional wrestling supposedly were. When the match had been concluded, uh, neither it nor indeed Valens himself were again discussed on ECW TV that month. Uh, considering the hype the match itself received throughout June, this is uh, very telling, and you'll be able to hear a lot more on this story later. And totally hardcore heaven, the event itself was pretty well received generally. Um, Paul Heyman in particular believed that it was one of the finest they'd ever put on. This is despite the show being postponed for an hour after the ring collapsed prior to the main event which saw Sabu go up against Rob Van Dam. Various ECW staff, including former ring crew member Mikey Whipwreck, worked a, a kind of slick repair in the ring whilst the crowd were occupied by Kimona, 
who very graciously performed a strip tease in the ramp. Um, Shane Douglas cut a heel promo also to pass the time. The show then got back underway after midnight, but eventually the main event was won as planned by Sabu, who beat RVD with an Arabian facebuster. Not unimpressive after the, the top rope broke two minutes into the match. Also in the show were wins for Shane Douglas, the FBI, Tommy Dreamer, Chris Jericho and Raven. Shortly after Raven's successful ECW title defence uh, on the show against Terry Gordy, a month-long long angle in which Stevie Richards tried to get him uh, the, quote, dirtiest, slimiest, ugliest um, beep he could find, <laughs> culminated in, in him acquiring the services of none other than Peaches. Uh, now, Peaches is the Sandman's estranged wife and is played by his real wife, uh, Tori Funkton. Even more shockingly, it emerged that the Sandman's nine-year-old son, Tyler, uh, again played by himself, had also turned against the Sandman and now worships Raven. Disappointingly, however, the unfolding of this angle was heavily affected by technical problems in which the microphone regularly failed, and this failure led to a further 20-minute delay of the show. Um, in other na- Raven news, there are rumours circulating this month that WCW are interested in signing him, possibly to form a stable with Diamond Dallas Page, and this would explain why Page himself attended an ECW show this month in an apparent attempt to persuade Scott Levy to join the Atlanta promotion. And just in addition to the news there, the will they won't know about ECW finally going to pay-per-view. The latest uh, news we've got on that is that they're looking to finally go go up on pay-per-view at some time in the autumn. Uh, The current plan is uh, for the show to actually be recorded on a a Friday and uh, then be shown as live two days later. Um, obviously worried that certain pay-per-view companies might not be too keen about broadcasting something completely uncensored. Um, and they're currently looking for sponsors, so um, good luck with that. One thing they have done, they have increased the size of the ECW arena. Uh, they've added some more bleachers, I believe, and they're looking to take it up to a 2,250 capacity um, before too long. Um, so yet more rabid fans and uh, fewer lockouts this time, as uh, which is quite important, as we'll get to when we get to the Hardcore Heaven review. But we're going to work through, first off, the Hardcore TVs that we have seen um, this particular month before the pay-per-view. Well, <laughs> the the one-day pay-per-view event that Hardcore Heaven is, it was um, released straight to video. Now, um, Hardcore TV, 4th of June. Uh, most of the action here comes from the Fight the Power event, which was mentioned in the news, which was broadcast on June the 1st. We will not be going through the whole event for you, but... Um, there's lots of important things that we will be tackling. We'll begin this now, including the match, uh, the Taz match, which we'll be paying uh, particular attention to. But this edition of uh, Hardcore TV from the 4th of June uh, begins with Stevie Richards and Raven in the ring. Richards puts his arm around Joey Styles, who looks somewhat weirded out. Richards tells us he's on a mission that Raven sent him on to find the most disgustingest, skankiest bleep he could find. Richards tells us that she will be at your beck and call to do anything you want her to do. And he brings, he brings out of all people, Divine Brown. Now, for those of you who don't know who Divine Brown is, um, how can I put this? Um, her profession is even older than that of wrestling, let's say. And um, she's particular, uh, particularly well-known for, I think the phrase is inflagrante delicto with a certain Mr. Hugh Grant a few months ago. She comes out wearing an ECW shirt and she straddles herself alongside Stevie Richards because why the hell not, eh? Raven says she hasn't been with enough people yet. I don't want her. And he walks off. <laughs> picky man, picky. We cut back to Joey Styles um, in front of the ECW backdrop, telling us that Raven might not be happy with women in general. 
Humorously, Stoltz suggests that even he himself might have been with Divine Brown. I'm not going to go there. He promotes the big six-man tag match we'll see later, and then we will get a shoot fight between Muay boxer Jason Halton and Taz, which occurred from Fight the Power. We get a few clips from a Japanese magazine talking about the comments uh, Heyman made with Sabu's broken neck. I mention that because uh, Japanese wrestling magazines, as we know, still treat wrestling as a real sport. And also, brilliantly, uh, the main Japanese wrestling magazine is called Baseball. <laughs> really quite brilliant. <laughs> so we, we now cut two back to fight the power between the shoot fights between Halton and Taz. Joey Styles on commentary says, I don't know much about shoot fighting. Which uh, annoyed me a bit because you comment on every match as if it's a shoot, but never mind. The only way to win this contest is by a knockout or submission. And it must be said the crowd seemed somewhat subdued during the introductions. We're in with Halton adding a few leg kicks, leg kicks and a few knees and an elbow takedown to Taz. Taz recovers, takes a few kicks and elbows in the face. Some more kicks that it must be said look extremely stiff. Then another takedown and a vicious cross face with Taz twisting the arm. Halton favors his left, uh, Halton favors his left arm. Taz rolls into another leg takedown and stretches him hard. Halton manages to get to the rope. Halton misses a kick, then Taz hits a German Tazplex. Just in case you were in any doubt as to whether this was a shoot or not. Halton gets up from that at seven. He then receives a head and arm Tazplex. We then get a Taz mission. And that's enough for the win, which Joey Styles sells as a chokeout. Seems like everybody likes Taz tonight, huh? Well, Taz don't like any one of you. Alfonso can't find one man to give me a friggin' fight. One man. That's all I want. He ain't here. I want one man, one tough son of a in this wrestling business. In the sport of shoot fighting. Sit down, you bum. Styles, you what are you doing? Oh, you want to interview the greatest wrestler in the world? Do it. Got some good news for you. You've been waiting for this. Your challenge has been accepted. You big schmuck, you don't know who you're dealing with. Okay? I ain't Ken Shamrock, I'll stretch him. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. I'm begging you, come on, let him go, let him go. Come on, you big son of a. Who wants some? Come on, you. I'm begging you, come get some. Taz grabs the mic. He tells us he doesn't like any bleeping one of us. Why can't he find one man to give him a frigging fight? 
one man, one tough SOB in this wrestling business, shoot fighting anywhere. Rather brilliantly, somebody in the crowd actually offers themselves out. Thankfully, Taz tells him <laughs> to sit down because that could have got a bit nasty. Uh, Joey Styles hits the ring and says, your challenge has been accepted. And what do you know? It's UFC fighter Paul Barrelins in the front row. He says he can find some time in his busy schedule to rock and roll with you, little boy. Taz calls him a big schmuck and offers him into the ring. Barrelins gets restrained by various ECW officials. The crowd are still uh, get a bit subdued and not quite sure how to react to this one. Taz has a pop at Sabu, because that's what Taz does. Then he calls himself the ultimate fighter. Barrelins tries again to get back in, but once more officials stop him. This time the crowd are getting into it with big let him go chance. Varolins almost makes it into the ring, then he's told he doesn't belong here. Next time you're in this building, you'll be stretched out, says Taz. A big fuck you Taz chant goes up. He then says that he wants that scarred up freak. We're out with Joey Styles talking up the polar bear Paul Varolins, and we're going to have a match in a few weeks. Um, Dale, what did you make of uh, all this action, um, the shoot inverted commas and the, um, the challenge interview at the end? Starting, starting with the fight, I don't know whether it's because I was on in April, Rory, but this, this was actually a wee bit better for me. It looked more realistic. It was by far no way a shoot fight, but at least it looked a bit better. The, the suplexes that were getting delivered, at least the, at least the kind of one of these money jumps and it, it looked a bit more believable. Um, it, it's one of those things again we spoke about a couple of months ago when I was last on about kind of, Try to sell this kind of situation to a pro wrestling audience. It's a bit kind of weird. You kind of tweak the curtain a wee bit, but then close it again. It's strange. Um, I thought Taz looked like a star. He was really nice on the mic. I was kind of worried how this was going to go with the full Fonzie stuff when he started it, but the two of them really worked good together. The, the viral and stuff, for a TV point of view, if you weren't reading if you weren't reading newsletters and dirt sheets, it, it really is quite intriguing. Um, it, it's kind of built up well. I thought Taz really looked good. It is an improvement with trying to shoot a shoot, but there's still some some kind of holes in it, if I'm honest. Steve? Yeah, I mean, what what is it they're trying to... You know, they build Taz up as a legit shoot fighter, but... What does that mean in a professional wrestling sense? You know, does that mean that he's the only one that's sort of legit and no one else is? And that's the problem that you've got, I think, when you're trying to bring in people. It's not just bringing in um, shoot fighters or UFC fighters or whatever. They've always done it whenever they bring a boxer in. Um, you know, well, what are they saying that, like, you know, a boxer is sort of more legit than a wrestler because whenever you see a boxer in the ring you know it's normally a big name they normally present him as a big attraction and stuff like that so it's difficult to know what they want to do long term with introducing legit sort of shoot fighters um if it's to as i say if it's just to get taz over as a legit shoot fighter then that's one thing but then what does that mean to everyone else on on the card you know are they not legit fighters so it's a bit of a gray area for me but the audience started to get into it, and uh, when Valens came out, and, and we had a bit of the pull, pull apart, and the, the locker room spilled out. I thought that was really good, and it really, really built um, the anticipation to see these two go at it. Yeah, I think this, uh, as far as this month uh, went, this was as good as it got. Really, I thought the contest itself. I was 
fairly convinced until the German Tazplex came in. I did, <laughs> I did somewhat zone out at that point. But up until that, the action, and I'm a bit of a, and I'm a, a complete agnostic when it comes to ultimate fighting, I must be honest. But I was, I was there for that minute and say some of the kicks in particular that they were both hitting. You know, and when I want to say hitting, those kicks were hitting and they got me into that moment. And I mean, as soon as Taz hit the Tazplex, I knew, and I think everybody watching knew that he was going to win this match. I don't think anybody could really dispute that. Um, and yes, it's an interesting one, Steve, you put there. That is the eventual goal of all of this, to try to add some sort of ultimate fighting statistic come strength to Taz's bow. I wonder if that's where they're going, but I'm not sure if Taz really needs that at this point. He's already seen by the ECW fans as this ruthless suplex-throwing killer. There's only so far you can actually go until it goes beyond the realms of uh, the realms of believability, I think. The interview itself, um, when he called out Barrelins, I mean, it was perfectly fine. I mean, Barrelins only said about seven words. Uh, three of those were rock and roll. And if you're watching along with us, get used to him saying that during, during the next month, by the way. Uh, it was fine. It was absolutely fine. The crowd took their time to get into it because I'm still not entirely sure that they... Well, there's no doubt at all that the crowd knew what they were watching in the match against Helton. But I still think there were some of the fans who thought, oh, hang on, Barrowlands is a real fighter. This could get a bit tasty at some point. Uh, and then in the end, they just went along with it, which was great. It needed a big crowd chant along. And this was an excellent start, as we'll discover as we go through the month. Uh, things went south pretty quickly after this, I'm afraid. But uh, they started off on the right foot anyway. And on this one, at least, um, fair play to everybody involved. We move on with Joey Styles, and he's telling us that Barrowlands has no comment. Uh, we might hear something from him, him. We might hear something from him soon enough, though. We don't, incidentally. Uh, now we get the feature match, which is a six-man tag team elimination match between Tommy Dreamer and the Pitbulls, and the Bruce Brothers and Primetime Brian Lee. The winner on the babyface team will get a shot at Ravens title down the line. Uh, we get some shots, uh, some fan cam shots of Brian Lee beating Dreamer up with a cinder block. And then we get Dreamer hitting him back with a chair. We also get a bit more fan cam footage of him being hurled into a stop sign, which, uh, as Carl would have it, is exactly what happened to Raven at House Party a short while ago. Um, we're not going to go for a full on uh, play-by-play on this particular match because it's absolutely insane. Um, one thing we do get, which is replayed a lot throughout the month, is a huge choke slam that uh, Brian Lee hits on Dreamer uh, from the crow's nest through two tables, which looked as painful as all hell. Uh, I should add that that's not as bad as it gets for Dreamer this month, by the way. <laughs> that was a bit of a precursor to what we're going to get in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, eventually, the match breaks down. Uh, Dreamer gets eliminated when we're on two-on-two two by um, Pitbull tries to superbomb Tommy Dreamer onto Lee, but one of the Bruce Brothers pulled him away. Tommy at the table. So it got back to Pitbull 1 versus uh, Brian Lee and one of the Bruce Brothers, and he managed to pin them both. Very, very quickly, it must be said, that whole situation of getting down from one to two to win the match um, took almost as quick as it's taken me to describe it to you, which was uh, annoying, but um, you almost have to expect that in ECW multi-man matches. Raven hits the ring and tells us, why don't we make down the line now? And he beats up Pitbull 2, and we have a match for the ECW Championship right this very second. Raven DDTs Pitbull 2 onto a broken table, and he kicks out at two. Raven throws Pitbull into the remnants of another table, and that also only gets two. Raven hits some punches in the corner. Pitbull goes into babyface no-sell mode, then hits back with some corner punches of his own. Raven is busted open by this. 
Pitbull 2 then hits an absolutely beautiful spinning heel kick in the corner, i.e. Raven was lying against the buckles. Uh, Pitbull 2 ran towards him and guided a spinning heel kick, sending himself over the top rope, and he landed on his feet on the floor, which looked absolutely fantastic. Pitbull then climbs the rope with a chair, but Raven meets him with a very nice drop kick. In response with a big DDT on the errant chair. Raven then adjusts his boot. Joey says, not this boot thing again. He kicks Pitbull in the head, which is how he won a match last week, uh, last month. And that gets the three. Uh, Joey Styles says that sucks and he's right. Um, guys, I so say we're not going to go into too much detail on this one because there wasn't really much to talk about in the, uh, the, uh, the title match. But, uh, Steve, I will ask this. Um, Pitbull 2 were the title contender? He was in the purposes of the piece. You know, it, it was good because, um, you know, if if this was a pre-advertised sort of thing, then you probably wouldn't really have, have paid much attention. But the fact that it, you know they worked their way through the elimination match, then it was the you know why don't we do it now sort of situation, which we get sometimes. Which, so the crowd are hot, ready because they think that well we're going to wait for the title match, but suddenly they're getting it there, so the crowd are on side. Um, and I thought there was some good action. I mean, it didn't go very long, the actual title match itself. Um, but I thought for what it was, it was good. You never thought that, you know, he was actually going to win the title. Um, he had a brief sort of comeback as he's, you know, in the corner. Um, and the crowd sort of ate that up. But then we very quickly got the DDT and then this, um, this sort of spring loaded boot that Raven has, um, started to, uh, to introduce. But for, for what it was, I, I, I enjoyed it. Delsa. Yeah, totally agree with totally agree with Steve Flory. Um match wasn't too long, it was quite cleverly edited. There was a good few spots in it where the the Eagles nest, whether it's the, the choke slam at the tables or Dreamer Splash through the table. Pitbull two, it hasn't even got a name, but they've made them they made them feel like a a legitimate contender, whether it was for a world title or if it was maybe just to kinda of build them up maybe for like a TV or something down the line. But I thought he'd done brilliant, he'd done well on the spot, he was gave um, title match didn't run too long as Steve says but he's been in a six man it's went all over the arena we see these matches every single month but the, the couple of nice spots and it made it feel different which is always nice thought they'd done a pretty decent job overall yeah yeah with you guys on this one um, I actually like this whole situation a bit more on second viewing I was uh, first off quite annoyed that um, a title match which could have got a bit of build um, was thrown away almost instantly. But then, like you say, Del, Pitbull to himself had been through a uh, a bit of a war beforehand and Raven being ultra-heeled that he is. It only makes sense that if he's got the ability to set a title match, then why not do it when your uh, potential opponent is going to be prone and um, uh, liable to be to get a bit of a sorting out? Uh, the action they had uh, was perfectly fine. I say that spinning heel kick in the corner from Pitbull 2 was absolutely fantastic. I rewound that one back a few times. Definitely check that one out. He's, it's the old, you know, he's got a good touch for a big man, as they say. Um, but I don't, I don't like this, uh, this boot thing. It's, as the old saying goes, it feels a bit Memphis to me. That does, I think, if they really want to give, give, give Raven something really, really evil heelish, if you want to have some sort of ultra signature move for him, him loading up the boot. Nah, that doesn't strike me as ECW 1996, if you ask me. It's, it's just about the understandable side of cheesy, um, but I don't like it. And I don't think Joey Styles does either. So, <laughs> I'm in good company. Uh, we move on and we get the extreme move of the week, which is unsurprisingly the chokeslam from Lee to Dreamer, which they show a lot more, as I say, throughout the month. Um, we get a brief Brian Lee promo telling us the chokeslam was born in ECW and killed everywhere else. 
Ah, very clever. He has resurrected it and taken it to a new extreme. He calls that move the prime time slam. Uh, Joey Styles puts over Pitbull 2, obviously learn that Pitbull 1 is in hospital. Uh, next week we get this. We won't see it on Raw or Nitro. The very first appearance of the rogue horseman, the loose cannon, Brian Pillman, on ECW and nowhere else. Uh, nothing really else to add to the 4th of June, apart from a brief shot towards the end of um, uh, Bubba Ray Dudley using a payphone. Um, he starts to call Big, which would be uh, Big Dick Dudley. Devon comes in, chases him off and hangs up. Um, that will become important in a couple of weeks' time. That concludes uh, the 4th of June Hardcore TV. We begin the 11th of June 1996 Hardcore TV with a cold open press conference between Taz and Barrowlands. Barrowlands gets asked for some comments and it must be said he seems extremely bored by the whole thing. He talks about watching some ECW Extreme in the past, which is not a good sign. We then get a sort of handshake between him and Taz. Uh, Fonzie does his best to save the segment by doing normal Fonzie stuff. Uh, interestingly, Todd Gordon is there to try and add a bit of legitimacy, but other than this, there's very little to note. Joey discusses what we've just seen, and we get footage of Taz choking out various wrestlers, asking, can he do the same to the polar bear? That match will happen at Hardcore Heaven 96. Uh, we then get a match between uh, the FBI and the Dudleys. Uh, Bob gets on the mic and sings, fly me to the moo moon. <laughs> Close enough. Uh, JT Smith. Uh, tells him that you don't mess with Sinatra. Devon has a, has a pop of Bubba, then runs through the three commandments that we all know extremely well. Uh, we get a decent match going, um, for about four or five minutes worth of uh, fair enough action, until Devon himself grabs a chair and he hits the referee Pee Wee Moore with it, and we get a DQ. Joey Styles rightly notes that there's not much you can get disqualified for here in ECW. After that, everybody just hits each other with stuff for a bit. <laughs> Uh, Bubba and Devon then threaten to make nice, but then Devon hits him with a chair. He then nails all the other Dudleys. Big Dick Dudley turns up, Devon then scarpers, although the camera doesn't really make that clear. And then we are out. We will see some more from these guys at Hardcore Heaven itself. Now the big news this, uh, this particular edition, a return of Brian Pillman. We cut back to that, to live action with a hobbling Mikey Whipwreck who's had his knee drained. He's still fairly over with the crowd as well. And here comes RVD to a chorus of boos. Uh, the match starts and a big Van Damme sucks chant goes up. We get a bit of stalling. Um, RVD and Hat Guy have a bit of a, a bit of a set to in the ring. And then we get our usual Sabu chant. Collar and elbow tie up into the corner, which RVD does a backward flip out of. And straight away, here comes Brian Pillman. Brian Pillman! Stop the match! Stop the match! Each and every one of you wants to chant to a real God. Get on your knees right now and pay homage to Brian Pillman right now. What does he think he is? You got a problem with that ripwreck? You got a problem, boy? Come on down and get my face if you got a problem. Express yourself. Pillman challenging Mikey. In his condition? What are you going to do, Mikey? Beat up a cripple? Get a man in a wheelchair? Yeah! Way to go, Mikey! He says that each and every one of you want to chant to a real god. Pay homage to Brian fucking Pillman right now. You got a problem, Whipwreck? Express yourself. What are you going to do, Mikey? Beat up a cripple? Hit a guy in a wheelchair? 
Mikey rather fantastically responds, yeah, and gets a shot in. <laughs> Pillman then hits back with a crush. RVD leaves the ring and joins in, and they beat the absolute hell out of Mikey while Styles expresses dismay. RVD then hits a leaping over-the-top rope leg drop with a chair positioned on Mikey's face. And then we get the old catch-the-chair crescent kick. We end up back in the ring, and there's the most academic three-count in the history of academic three-counts. Joey Styles heads down to ringside as we watch the extreme replay of that entire exchange. Now, as we heard in the news, um, Brian Pillman said a lot of things in this particular interview, and it shouldn't really surprise you to know that this particular hardcore TV edition did not um, touch on that, so we're not going to touch on that either. We will discuss that when we get to our Brian Pillman section a bit later on. What we do get from here is Pillman calling himself... Sorry, calling the fans the lowest form of human life on the planet and pieces of shit. He calls himself a world-class athlete and that he has thrown his fists of contempt in the faces of Ted and Jane. Uh, the crowd don't really get that one. He's uh, referring to Ted Turner and Jane Fonda, of course. He then puts over RVD for beating up Sabu. We learn that Sabu sucks and so do each and every one of you and that Rob Van Dam is your saviour. Um, while he's at it, he has a pop at the Sandman, calling him a bumbling drunk. Uh, Missy Hart's management skills are all about how many manhoods she's managed. And the crowd give him some serious jib. He then seems to get a bit bored and says, if you don't shut up right fucking now, I'm leaving. RVD then gets on the mic and rather humorously said, let's get the fuck out of this dump, Brian, he says, and he wheels him off down the ramp. Steve, what did you make of all of this? Um, <laughs> well, opportunity, I think. Yeah, I think I think so. There's some great lines in there, isn't there? You know, by by Pillman, um, and he thrives in this ECW environment. Quite what is going to happen next, we, we don't know. Um, obviously, you've you've alluded to some of the the more controversial stuff that he says during the taping, which uh, no doubt we'll speak about later on. But he's just so entertaining. Pillman and you're on the edge of your seat and you're waiting you know what's he going to say next what's he going to do next where we go from here we don't know because there's, there's rumours that he's going to sign for for WWF um, which then would sort of take him out of this extreme environment but he just thrives in it and I wouldn't want to see him crop up anywhere else really because he's got the uh, you know he's, he's got the forum here to be able to do a lot and he's pretty banged up at the moment he's in bad shape but yeah he can still from a wheelchair lay a, a, a real good beat <laughs> beat down on uh, poor Mikey Whitwreck who I thought was really good at actually yeah I will it a man in a wheelchair slap um, but he sort of just got pounded into the ground by a guy in a wheelchair so I suppose that's a bit embarrassing for, for poor Mikey um, up until that, up until that point, um, you just didn't know what he was coming out for. And, um, you know, Joey goes down to try and grab an interview with him. Um, but it's really sort of, it's, it's explosive stuff and I love it. Yeah. I am still a bit pissed that me and Bobby Bamber never got our wish last year about the Sabu and Taz sitcom. I think there might be legs and Rob Van Dam and Brian Pillman because just the image ARVD wheeling him out at the end was yeah. just brilliant. Um, we spoke on the, the June 4th show about trying to kind of see the legitimacy in a shoot fight with Taz and Taz and helping this, this just the, the beautiful sight of Brian Pillman coming into an ECW arena. You never doubt the legitimacy of a potential shoot. That's, and even when he's working his cell, 
he's shooting as far as he's concerned and it's just it's something to behold man he just commands at him there was utter silence when he came out to start with and it wasn't a silence for non-interest it was silence of just rapid interest and by the end of it he just turned into a heat magnet it was brilliant and he just makes Rob Van Damme looks like a star as it is and the fact that Pillman's aligned with him and he's out there in the wheelchair was he going to say was he not going to say as the edited TV show would show but I, I, I loved it absolutely loved it Roy yeah, um, I definitely agree with you on the RVD thing. I think RVD in the ring has the offence that uh, a lot of ECW fans would actually like to cheer. So aligning him with an absolute super grade A dick heel to try to get him some heat is an extremely good idea. It's just a shame that um, now that Pillman uh, was almost certainly a member of the WWF now, we're not going to get any more between them because I reckon they could have done some really, really good stuff. Again, maybe it's because I hold Brian Pillman promos to a particularly, extremely high standard, but I thought this was just okay. There was nothing particularly bad about it. Um, being in a wheelchair, challenging a plucky baby face to hit him, it's one up. Again, it's, it's ECW don't do anything that's standard stuff, let's be honest, but as much as ECW can... It's a bit rote. It's a bit by the mill. Pillman did absolutely brilliantly with the material, as you would expect. Um, but I almost come expecting a bit more. His in-ring promo, which, as we've already said, was heavily edited from what was actually supposedly said, which we'll get to in a bit, uh, was fine. And you put it best, he, he, the guy is a heat magnet. He could read the phone book and you'd boo the hell out of him. He's an, he is an absolute star on the microphone. I just expect 9.8. 9.8 out of 10s from him at least every single time. And this was just a mere 8.8. Uh, and that's my fault. That's not his. Um, this was great. Uh, pretty much his parting shot in ECW, as we'll get to in a bit. But uh, not a bad way to go out. But um, in an ideal world, it would have been even better. But um, he really is in a field of his own with promos at the moment. We move on with Joey putting over Sabu. We learn once more about Fonzie and Taz, um, the Fonzie and Taz tip off bad neck angle with RVD. And we are indeed getting a Sabu Rob Van Damme rematch at Hardcore Heaven 1996. Uh, Paul Heyman appears on the screen to confirm that. Uh, he compares Sabu favourably to many a sportsman. RVD has a receipt coming his way and Sabu will kick RVD's ass. Uh, I really like Paul Heyman doing this, by the way. It has just a tiny little bit of realism to it. Uh, we then cut back to action from Fight the Power, which was uh, Shane Douglas giving out the, the old open challenge for his uh, his TV title, as is usual with this kind of thing. Uh, he actually squashes a, a fair few uh, lower card wrestlers and jobbers. Uh, our old friend El Porcho Ricanio has made short work of. Um, somebody called Donny Allen doesn't stand much of a chance either. Uh, and nor does Devon Storm. <laughs> What's wrong with the world, eh? Douglas gets on the mic and says, empty the fucking dressing room, I want to work out tonight. Mikey Whipwreck comes up, because of course he does. Uh, Douglas pins him, uh, beats him rather, with a Texas Cloverleaf for the submission. Who finally comes out but Pitbull 2? Big fuck em up Pitbull, fuck em up chant. Uh, but before that happens, uh, Francine wants to get in the ring. As she does seemingly every week these days. Uh, we then get a uh, Douglas, charmer that he is, telling us that he's seen Missy Hyatt fuck half the dressing room. He calls um, he calls Kimona and Bueller carpet munchers, and he tells that Francine is an ugly bleep. She slaps him, and quite rightly so. She then takes her customary bump of a belly-to-belly suplex. 
Pitbull 2 then gets laid out with the belt, and then the bell rings. So it looks like we get ourselves a match. <laughs> yeah, it's not a particularly long one. Once again, Pitbull 2 no-sells pretty much everything and kicks out of everything that uh, Douglas can throw at him. Uh, we eventually, after a couple of minutes, uh, cut back to our big super bomb with Pitbull 2 getting the three and winning the uh, TV title. We'll talk a little bit more about that in Hardcore Heaven, but uh, that was a very nice moment. It's also worth noting that Shane Douglas, um, the, the angle that we discussed last month, that he didn't actually want the TV title, as soon as he lost it, he was actually desperate to grab the belt back, which was a nice little character touch, I thought. Just little things like that do help. And then we get Joey Styles uh, in the back with Shane Douglas interrupting him. I crippled two cold Scorpio for a belt I didn't even want. Just imagine what I'll do to somebody when I do want it. Uh, we then get the usual closing interviews. Uh, the Dudleys are happy about something. Uh, we also see Divine Brown. She is captioned as, oh yes, granted fame by Hugh. Um, calling this place crazy. Um, Stevie tries to acquire her services, but she turns him down. Uh, she then appears again, this time with the uh, this time with the caption of personal friend of Bill Alfonso. Uh, no. J- just while I'm considering that, we then get a shot of Fonzie in his swimming trunks in a swimming pool. There's some sick puppies out there, I tell you. Uh, we then end with the customary Tommy Dreamer promo, which I'm glad for after this point, in which he tells us, Brian Lee, weapons match, everything you've ever wanted to see in the ring. We then cut to Brian Lee, rather, rather awkwardly, telling us that he is going to carve out Dreamer's soul. The 18th of June Hardcore TV is very recap heavy. The first five minutes give us recaps of Barrowlands, Taz, Dreamer Lee, Dudley's, Douglas, Sabuar VD. Joey then chills Hardcore Heaven for us, and we get a bit of fan count footage of Lee versus Dreamer. Um, he eventually gets beaten up by the Bruise Brothers, whilst Raven looks on. We also get this very, very interesting comment about Brian Pillman, which I'll, I shall provide to you verbatim. Joey says this, on a personal note, congratulations to Brian Pillman. Pause. He's going to use ECW as a forum to express his controversial opinions. Joey then challenges him to bring it on. Now, this was very clever because, A, it hints at the whole NWA thing without actually mentioning it. And, B, it says that, oh, look, he's gone to the WWF now. Without hitting us over the head with it, which ECW often do. This was the subtlety, which when they play it right, they get absolutely right. So I, lo- I thought they they played this perfectly. They were quite right to mention it, but they didn't go over the top, which I liked. We then get some more Fight the Power footage of Lord Stevie and Sir Meany, uh, which is um, uh, those guys doing a, a sort of um, a Blue Bloods takeoff. I've written down here, Richard's British accent is staggeringly shite, and it really, really is. <laughs> Joey says, after this, we might go to war again with Great Britain. And I've got to say, after that accent, we might just have a case. <laughs> he serves Missy Hyatt with a sexual harassment lawsuit. Uh, this is a family show, so I won't tell you where he actually puts the subpoena document, but you can probably guess. We then get an appearance from, of all people, Raven's doctor. Um, he says, here's the reason why Stevie Richards is able to wrestle. He then turns to the Sandman, who is also in the ring, calling him James Fullington. We're going absolute shoot crazy this month. Um, Sandman is thankful for the work the Doctor did for him. He flew him first class and offered him all he could drink. He doesn't know why the Doctor is getting on his case. Um, The Doctor tells us that he doesn't like wrestling. He says by dealing with the Sandman, his reputation is endangered. So what does the Sandman do? He then gets Missy to make out with him. Someone goes to hit the doctor, I think, but he hits Richards instead. And we then get a Stevie kick to the knee and a figure of four. 
Stevie shouts out, now we go to school. Just absolutely brilliant. Uh, but after a short match, though, uh, Saman fights out of that. Um, and he wins with a roll-up while Stevie goes for another figure of four. Uh, a caked in blood Raven comes out and hits the Sandman with a cane. Uh, sorry. Raven comes out, clips the Sandman's knee, uh, applies a figure of four, or Stevie applies cane shots. That goes on for absolutely ages. Um, disappointment there. We then get uh, a very interesting match, if you can seek it out, between uh, Mikey Whitbrack and Sabu. Um, if you get the chance to watch this, I take it. Particularly for the first two or three minutes, we see Sabu showing some very impressive mat wrestling skills. Actual wrestling, really. What was that, Mike? Actual wrestling. Actual wrestling. The proper bona fide name on the marquee wrestling. I nobody is more stunned than I am, I tell you. It's a, a really good fun match. Not quite the, the classic, but it was played up by commentary. But if you get a chance to seek it out, do so. You know, he does takedowns and leg locks and everything. Um, Okay, it eventually ends with a DDT through a table, but we all knew. <laughs> <laughs> you can't win them all. You can't win them all. Uh, finally, before we hit the pay-per-view review, um, we get uh, Raven and Stevie Richards in what looks like a playground. Raven asks us, why is he in the playground of his youth? He, First you brought me Beulah, then you brought me Kimona, then you brought me Divine Brown. But she didn't fit the specifications. She's not disgusting enough. She's not the epitome of women in our society. Once again, ECW, ECW women thing we talk about every month. We then, luckily enough, to see a virtually naked blue meanie going by the name of Blue Dust. Yeah, exactly. Um, the only thing I would say that is of any note about this is that um, during the takeoff of Goldust, he actually quotes uh, a 1978 Ron Jeremy porn film, <laughs> um, which is quite humorous. Uh, he then does a pointless impression of Dusty Rhodes because, of course, <laughs> that's not a joke we already get. Uh, Raven does a double take, turns to Richards and says, Richards, she's not feminine enough. <laughs> you catch on fast, sir. Uh, we then get our usual um, pre-big event uh, promos to, to mark us out. Everybody doing a lot of shouting. Tommy Dreamer shouts, Douglas shouts, the gangsters really bloody shout. Uh, we get Varolins telling us he's ready to rock and roll. Um, we then see Stevie Richards hosing down blue dust. Hey, I just report these things. <laughs> Uh, in a very nice moment at the very end, though, we get uh, the Sandman raising a beer to uh, Dick Murdoch, who passed away this month, uh, telling us rather sweetly that he's running out of friends to drink with, uh, which was a rare, nice moment. And that will bring us to Hardcore Heaven 96 itself. And our big ECW event of the month is indeed Hardcore Heaven 96. Dell, uh, tell us the results of this one, please, mate. Yeah, sure. It's starting off first with Shane Douglas, the franchise. He beat Mikey Whipwreck. But then at the FBI, the full-blooded Italians, the J.T. Smith and Little Guido, they were accompanied by Salvatore Bellomo. They beat the Dudley Brothers, which was Big Dick and Bubba Ray for this month. They were accompanied by Chubby, Dances With and Sign Guy. They won by DQ. Taz then defeated Paul Varowans in the quote-unquote shoot-fight rules match. Raven defended his ECW title against Terry Bam Bam Gordy. The Eliminator scheduled match with the Gangsters ended up in no contest due to a pre-match um, pull apart with the Gangsters. They were unable to compete. The Eliminators then fought the Bruise Brothers again to a no contest. Axel Rotten and Hack Myers, they also ended up in a no contest in a match with the Samoan Gangster Party. Chris Jericho defeated Pitbull number 2 and that was for the ECW TV title. Tommy Dreamer in the semi-main defeated Brian Lee in the weapons match in the main, so Sabu defeat Rob Van Dam. Uh, Steve, what did you make of uh, this event? Uh, this was a, a good show, a really good show. It started um, red hot. Sandman 
you know, set the tone for us with um, a brutal uh, cane shot, to, well, several brutal cane shots to our poor ring announcer. So we had a hot opening. Uh, we saw some great matches. Um, and overall, I really enjoyed the event. I thought it was a good um, a, a sort of... I don't know whether I would have enjoyed it if I was there live. And I know we're going to talk about later on ECW moving to pay-per-view and how that's going to work out for them. You know, they're, they're lucky at the moment that they are able to, you know, pre-record, edit and put together a package on a videotape for us to sit at home and enjoy. I think if, if I would have been at the event and all of the technical problems that they had and I'm not getting out till sort of gone midnight or near one in the morning, I think I might have been a bit upset, um, particularly with the, the sort of delay um, of, as has been reported, about an hour or so. Um, you know, with the ring and stuff. So I, uh, I think it was one that I enjoyed um, from the comfort of my own home. Um, whether I would have enjoyed it as much in the arena, I'm not too sure. No, can I disagree with Steve uh, Rory? Um, as I've had the tape experience two, two and a half hours, it's arguably the most solid show I've seen for ECW in a while. Um, started off pretty decent, as he says, with, with Sandman. God rest him. The uh, Gertner might be a wee while before we see him back. Um, the brawls were pretty well spread out instead of it being brawl, brawl, brawl. It was well paced this month. A couple of decent matches in the middle. Some issues with some quote-unquote shoots. But overall, as a show and a two-and-a-half-hour live tape, pretty impressed. Yeah, um, I've got to be honest and say I'm not quite as enthusiastic as you two guys, or, or even Paul Heyman himself. Uh, I thought you're right about the pacing, Dan. I think they got that about right, and it wasn't just an absolute brawl fest. However, I think the main issue with this show, which I'll explain uh, more as we get through, is that they paid too much attention to less important things and not enough attention to the most important things. That's not Are you hinting at the fact that we never saw the kimono striptease on the tape, Rory? Uh, how can I answer this? Yes, is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Well, not on the tape that I was provided anyway. If, if, there's, one, if there's one out there, yeah, I'll, I shall provide my details at the end. Uh, but yes, yeah, so apart from that obvious fact, uh, they didn't quite go all in at all the times they wanted. There was a lot of good in this show, a lot of very good in this show. But at times they were spreading themselves a bit thin and they made mistakes which they didn't really need to make. And that's in addition with all the technical issues, which I'm going to cut them a little bit of slack on although they have to apportion a little bit of the blame. But we'll get to that when we get to it. There is a lot of good in this show, and uh, let's begin reviewing it right now. Hardcore Heaven 96. We cold open with announcer Joel Gurner in the ring, trying to say, let's get ready to rumble. Before he gets a chance to finish the sentence, here comes the Sandman who whacks him from behind with a cane. This, of course, gets him cheers and ECW chance. He celebrates with a beer and a few more cane shots. He then calls Gurner a piece of shit. Uh, the crowd chant one more time. And Sandman is only too happy to oblige, and obliges again. Now back on the mic, he asks for that guy who looks like he's been on top of a wedding cake to come out. He, of course, means ring announcer Bob Artees. Sandman basically strong-arms him into being the ring announcer for today, saying he'd better be good. Uh, Missy Hart whacks a kisser on him, because that's what she does, and we have our ring announcer for the day. Uh, it's good to know that the Sandman has this sort of power, incidentally. Uh, we then cut to a cocky-looking Shane Douglas, who gives Artees a bit of a light smacking. And he's ready to face Mikey Whitbreck, who is already in the ring getting the job or entrance. 
Um, despite this, the crowd is still very much with Mikey and he gets a big chance. They absolutely loathe Douglas though. And the bell rings and we are in with our first match of the day, which is Mikey Whitford Shane Douglas. Uh, Douglas has a few words with a fan. He offers a handshake and Mikey accepts, which is quite interesting. Um, Mikey hits a very nice arm drag out of a collar and elbow tie, to which Douglas uh, meets him with sarcastic applause. Uh, Mikey hits an arm ringer takeover. Douglas hits back with, of all things, the Polish hammer and then a few stomps in the corner. Mikey hits a backdrop followed by a double drop kick. It's very back and forth at this point. Um, Douglas then jaws with Hat Guy's friend who isn't Hat Guy. Um, the bloke with the sunglasses and the grey hair. If you watch ECW, you'll know who I mean. Um, Douglas then kicks back in the ring with a side headlock takeover. The crowd chant what I think is same old shit, which is quite interesting. The event is a very nice corkscrew vertical suplex, um, followed by a kick to the bollocks and the dear old Paul Mikey cock first into the bottom rope spot. Uh, he then he then hits the Texas Cloverleaf as the crowd rally big behind Mikey, who gets to the rope perhaps a little bit too easily. Uh, Mikey goes down again after a football tackle. Mongo who, says Joey. A very nice dragon screw leg whip into uh, a very nice dragon screw leg whip by Douglas. Uh, but Mikey hits back with a leverage move to knock Douglas to the outside. Uh, Douglas is eventually in the front row. Uh, Mikey gingerly hops onto the top rope, then sort of hits a cannonball all the way over the guardrail. Uh, 10 out of 10 for effort, 6 out of 10 for execution. Uh, he then hits a, le- a leaping elbow over the rail onto the floor, followed by a slingshot neck snap, which looked absolutely awesome. Joey, Mikey might well be the king of this ring. Mikey misses a drop kick. Douglas switches to the figure of four leg lock. Mikey half breaks it up with an eye rake. Then it's Douglas' turn to miss a drop kick. And then Mikey hits the sting headbutt, followed by his own figure of four. Um, Douglas tries to get out of it by hitting the ref. Mikey tracks Douglas back to the middle of the ring. Uh, Mikey hits some chops whilst applying the hold and gets a series of two counts. Douglas again gets the rope. Again, I would have preferred a bit more drama there. Uh, Douglas collapses on an Irish whip and Mikey gets two off that. Mikey goes up to the top for a very nice missile drop kick, which gets two and a half. He then hits a vicious-looking DDT, again for almost three. Uh, we then get a d- another double double Irish whip reversal. Uh, Douglas wins that, hits a belly-to-belly, and that's enough for the three counts. Um, your thoughts on this one, Steve? Uh, well, it started red hot. The crowd were, uh, were you know, fever pitch. Mikey starts strong, but Douglas is just so good at slowing the pace down executing his own moves and just getting the crowd to absolutely hate on him and um, he just sort of takes Mikey apart um, and, and the crowd just when I say they love it they hate it they love him because he's he's just great at getting the uh, getting the crowd to hate him um, Mikey for his part as we know he's a master of, of selling and playing underdog and um, he does it you know, to perfection in this in this match. Um, you've already said about the not very graceful dive that we see um, from from Mikey, and uh, as Joey puts it, we see a nice uh, slingshot rolling next snap um, in the match. Douglas Douglas's reaction uh, to the headbutt, to the groin, and the figure of four is just great because he just carries on talking trash uh, while he's in it. He talks trash to Mikey. He's talking trash to the audience. He takes a couple of slaps across the face and just carry on talking trash and and it's just great it's great stuff to see and um Douglas just looked really strong in this you know the the, the loss probably won't hurt Mikey too much uh, it was a great opener yeah this is possibly the strongest start I can remember at least in recent memory on ECW live event Rory um they usually start off with a couple of kind of three four minute matches 
seeing franchise coming at the start is never a bad thing for me. I love the guy. He's probably the best overall just arsehole in the wrestling <laughs> business at the minute. Um, whether it was the stuff that was seen on TV earlier in the month, whether it's just his kind of in-ring attitude in this match. I thought they, they'd done really decent. It was a strong enough match. Mikey Whitbreck is really coming on as a performer. Um, I, I, it's, it's as good as a start as you can ask for, I think, especially when we see what's what's on the card, what we've seen in the last few months. We, we kind of start the ECW shows where we're usually needing to call it 911 to stop them. The crowd did kind of come down a wee bit, but as I say, for us opening match, it's as good as I've seen in a long time for us company. Uh, yeah, I'm with you on this. This was, just looking through the card again, this is very possibly match of the night to me, if I'm being honest. I thought both these guys absolutely, absolutely brought it. The thing I really do like about Douglas is perhaps more than anybody I can think of in all three main promotions, he absolutely gets the most out of his fairly limited abilities. He's good in the ring. I say he's he's no more than that. He's he's good in the ring. But um, like you were suggesting, Steve, everything else that comes with it, he is so into that heel character. He adds two or three points onto every attribute just with that alone, and it makes him such a compelling watch. Mikey in the ring is absolute night and day now to what he was when he even had his um had his title run. He's clearly made some serious strides put in the effort to become a better in-ring performer. He's still a bit sloppy. Um, that cannonball was extremely ambitious, but it didn't quite work. But God loves a trier and all that. He's got, I think, putting him in opening matches with people like Douglas, where he gets a chance to sell, but also gets a chance to show some decent offence himself. Real, real advantage to him there. Although, I must be honest, I'm, I mean, I, I seem to say this every time I'm on the pod, I'm still not entirely sure where they're going to go with Mikey. Is it just going to be uh, the proverbial good hand? I don't know. But if he is going to be a good hand, he's becoming a pretty good one. The finish was perhaps a little bit out of nowhere, but at the same time, uh, especially after losing the TV title, I do think Douglas had to win this. I do wish he had a slightly better finisher than a belly-to-belly, though. That's that's pretty second day of wrestling school, but uh, it is what it is. But yeah, a uh, fine opener between people who brought it. Uh, the crowd were pretty into it. There was some really nice stuff, um, surprisingly good chemistry, and uh, a really excellent start here. So my props go to both of these. We then jump cut to Joey Styles in the ring. He welcomes us to ECW. <laughs> no time like the present, I guess. He then tells us we are in beautiful downtown rustic South Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Sadly, he doesn't say that hardcore's coming home. Oh, well. He reluctantly announces Baron Von Stevie and Blue Dust and his director, Patricia. Baron Von Stevie, obviously, being Stevie Richards doing a whole Baron Von Raschke takeoff, complete with cape and claw hand. Um, call me biased, but my notes here say, I bloody love this man. <laughs> Stevie gets to the ring and his bold cap falls off and he quickly replaces it. I'm not sure if that was meant to happen or not, but if it was, it was brilliant. If it wasn't, it was even more brilliant. Uh, whilst we're waiting around for that, Joey Styles calls the WWF a circus, just because he can. Stevie grabs the mic and in his best, worst Germanic accent says, Joey Styles, the people need to know just what Baron Von Stevie and my masculine friend Blue Dust are doing out here. He tells us Raven will find and receive the most disgusting, dirtiest, slimiest woman in society. 
He then lets the claw control him, which, which words cannot do justice to <laughs> Steve Richards doing the claw. I could, I could be here until Christmas trying to describe it. Please just dig out the tape and watch it. It is absolutely sensational. Uh, he rather blocked his copybook by saying, we will show the world just what women in society are all about. But this is ECW. Uh, Blue Meanie then gets on the mic because you can't have it all. He then drops to his knees in front of Joey Styles. <laughs> Joey unsurprisingly runs away. Then, magnificently, probably the moment of, one of my contenders, the moments of the year, uh, Stevie then puts the claw on Joey, who just brushes him off as if he was swatting a fly. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Stevie's reaction is priceless. Joey then hightails out of the ring. Stevie is looking at his claw hand, wondering what, get, what went wrong, while still letting the claw control him. He then climbs onto the back of Meanie, uh, who then falls off quite fantastically, and then eventually the Meanie sort of half piggybacks Richards out of the arena. Oh dear, uh, Dell, I know this was mainly meant to be uh, storyline development for the Ravens situation, but for me, this was all about the boy Stevie. It was amazing. Um, we never really spoke about it too much earlier on, really, but the, the Divine Brown segment, he saved that. Mm. Um, as much as it could be saved. This was just <laughs> brilliant. Um, how many people were aware of Baron von Raske? I don't know. But for those days that were, it was, it was just brilliant. I mean, the, the guy, it, half the time he's throwing about in Daisy Jukes, he's wearing cut off t-shirts, and he, he just looks like an absolute cretin. But he, he just, he, he does the proverbial, he, he makes chicken salad out of chicken shit, and there's no finer, no final example for me in the business, is it? Couldn't agree more. Steve? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, going back to the TV with the, the Brian yeah. Brown uh, situation, she's wearing those 10-inch heels, and it looks like she, she looks like she broke, breaks both ankles when she first gets in the ring. And luckily <laughs> for us, Stevie just sort of picks it up, and he, and he holds her. He literally holds her. Uh, no mean feet for a 1996 yeah. Divine Brown. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, now. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's brilliant. And in this, um, yeah, I mean the way I mean Joey almost steals the whole the whole thing with the uh, just brushing away of the of, of the claw. And thankfully, um, Blue Dust has decided to go in like an all in one thing rather than the body paint that we saw on on TV. <laughs> you know, that's uh, a concession for, for for us. So that's good. I can't believe I'm going to say this. I don't, I'm not even sure it was body paint last time. I want to say it was, well, no, I don't want to say, but I think it was actually blue cake icing. But um, It looked I'll like icing. Yeah, it did actually. Yeah, yeah, it did look like icing. I will leave that image holding in the air. Finger lacking good, Rory. <laughs> <laughs> Easy now. <laughs> oh, goodness me, snap back in. Right, Stevie Richards, yes. Um, <laughs> the thing I like about, I like about Stevie, um, it's actually the thing I like about Joey Styles as well, is that they are the only two people, I think, in the whole of the absolutely insane universe that is ECW, who seem to understand what ECW actually is. And I don't just mean they go around giving snarky shoot comments all the time. I mean, they're the only two who seem to... Joey Styles seems to realise that everybody here is just insane, and maybe because of that, I'm the insane one. And Stevie Richards is insane. The whole thing that his character is one big joke. But that could not be more of a positive if I tried. He takes that ball every time and he runs with it. I get the sense that every time he's in a segment, he is legitimately himself having the time of his life. And that I'm sure that reflects on a lot of fans. It definitely reflects on me. I could watch his segments all day long. He's an absolute jewel in ECW's crown. And his super kick is pretty bloody good as well. I think he's absolutely, absolutely magnificent. I hope we see a lot more of him to come. 
The only thing I will say in slight mitigation is that he is such comic relief and he is so bloody funny that occasionally it isn't always the perfect counterpoint to Raven. I think I do sometimes struggle to believe what their relationship actually is. I Sometimes I think, if I was Raven, why don't you just ditch this absolute clown, you know? Um, then, you know, keep your idiots, keep your idiots close, I guess. Um, so that, that's, that's, a, that's a slight problem, but really, um, that's absolute nitpicking. Stevie Richards is absolute solid gold. Yeah, yeah. Just fantastic. Uh, we reset, uh, with the FBI coming down to the ring. Um, they do a pose off thing when they get there. JT Smith grabs the mic and he announces a surprise. And that surprises of all people, Wild Man Sal Balomo, who we haven't seen since the 12th of Never. Um, the crowd are, well, are very happy to see him because they greet him with chance of you fat fuck. He grabs the mic and says some stuff in Italian. Um, casual racist Joey Stahl says maybe he just ordered some dinner. <laughs> Here come the Dudley clan. Bubba wandering down with a smile and a chair. Um, Bubba gets in the ring and he quite simply kicks Sal up the arse twice. Uh, D.W. Dudley gets announced as W.D. Dudley, and judging by everybody's reaction, I don't think that was intentional, but never mind. Bubba, Bubba Ray Dudley then grabs the mic. He then tells us that Devon, he then tells Devon that Big Dick Dudley is here. The crowd, of course, chant, what's your name? He then sings, fly me to the moon again, whilst doing what looks like the wanker sign. He then turns towards the FBI, says, your mama. And then he tells us that my name is Bubba Ray Dudley. The crowd absolutely bay for that, and so do I. Such a simple but brilliant bit of character development, which I absolutely loved. I think it was also the right time to do this as well. He gets back on the mic and says, hey, everybody here hates Devon, right? Now shall not fuck with the Dudleys. We get another jump cut, and then we get the match between FBI and the Dudleys. Uh, we cut to Bubba Ray um, giving Guido tons of splashes. Um, he is called Matt Pizza by Joey. Um, we then get to see uh, a slingshot gourd buster by Bubba. Uh, Big Dick Dudley is working on JT Smith at this point, who does a 720 spin off a clothesline. Uh, Bubba then grabs a chair, but Guido runs out of the ring. Uh, we get the FBI and Belomo threatening to leave the ring. Bubba then goes up to the top rope and tries to dive on all of them. Sadly, he missed, but it was a very impressive visual. He landed very hard on the seal. He recovers quickly and hits Guido with the chair a few more times. Um, he then decides to steal Hat Guy's hat. The chant crowd at Hat Guy, where's your hat? Of course <laughs> they did. Bubba's in the ring wearing the hat, but Guido shit cans him. Now, Big Dick goes into no-sell mode off a double clothesline and then hits a double choke slam. Double joke award, Joey on the mic, somebody call 911. Guido gets press slammed onto the timekeeper's table while Sal gets in a few shots. Uh, he then hits Big Dick, Dudley, uh, Big Dick Dudley in the head with these chair shots, which again, he's no selling. Uh, BDD then picks Sal up and carries him to the back, leaving Bubba two on one. JT Smith hits a very nice somersault leg drop. Bubba kicks out at two, and now here comes Devon Dudley. He actually attacks the FBI. He gives them both chair shots and the bell rings, and I think we have a disqualification. Devon grabs the mic. Bubba, you stupid idiot, you were supposed to wait for me. Fuck Big Dick, he ain't here. I always got to bail you out, brother. After a dramatic pause, Devon slaps Bubba, then belts him with a chair and carries on doing so. Both DW and Chubby Dudley also get a shot. Devon helpfully tells Chubby that Dunkin' Donuts is hiring. 
Where's Big Dick now, huh? He also says. Devon leaves the ring. He then heads to the back and gets ready to Scarpa, telling Big Dick Dudley that he ain't hard to find. BDD chases him out as Devon hits the car, uh, gets into the car, and uh, we're all done. What did we make of this, uh, Dale? First things first, I need to pull you up for a comment, Rory. Yep. You mentioned Joey Styles. Um, you mentioned Shane Douglas both get an ECW. For me, there's a very notable third name on that. Uh, Stevie Richards, sorry, and Joey Styles. The third name for me is Bubba. Bubba just gets this. Mm-hmm. He's, I'll let him out for a reason, I'll get to that in a second. Yeah, he's, uh, he's funny, he's, he's good in the right, he's, the, the character development, as you said, with the introduction, Bubba just gets it, I wondered at the start, where's Devon, that made perfect sense, plus JT Smith was in it, you know, I've got a soft spot for the big man, I, I just thought this was really, really well done. Steve? Uh, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't agree more, we've had this family feud, build up in a, a few vignettes over the last couple of weeks um, so we, everything made sense um, that was presented as you'd already mentioned when Bubba Ray says his name it's a big moment and it's so big that it literally floors the FBI they, they sort of fall onto the floor which I thought was a nice touch um, they present Big Dick as you know he just sort of doesn't sell anything um, and the family feud I guess will continue with uh, it's looking like, you know, Devon versus Big Dick for the head of the family, perhaps. Um, that's what, although the, the the crowd weren't really clamouring for Big Dick to come back out when, when Devon was there. So I, I don't know where they're going to go um, ultimately, but um, it was such a fun, fun segment. Yeah, um, I think the segment definitely over, overrode the match. The match wasn't much. A couple of decent moments. I mean, Bubba's attempted super top rope. Something was absolutely, was, was very, very impressive. Uh, it, it was all about the angle for me, not the match. Uh, you're right about Bubba, what you say, Del. Uh, but I do wonder now if his character is going to slightly change now he's, um, mm. uh, finally said his name. And I remember saying on the first ECW pod I was on back in uh, December that, uh, the character as it stood probably had a limited shelf life as entertaining and captivating as it was and remained. And him saying his name was an absolute double thumbs up moment. I wonder if he might be showing a slightly more serious side now. If he does that whilst keeps him within the main parameters of the character, then I think we're in business. Yeah. Uh, but yes, uh, I agree with you, Steve. It looks to me as though we're, we're going to be getting at some point some kind of Devon versus uh, Big Dick Dudley. I'm not absolutely sure as a match I particularly want to see. No. Um, I'm not a fan of Big Dick Dudley in the ring. And also from a storytelling perspective, I don't think they quite got oh they've really got over the sense which they're trying to tell us that he's the kind of the figurehead of the family. That's a story they need to start telling fast if they really want to make this match mean anything. It's it's implied but it's not being made it's not being made full at this point and I think that's an issue. I do get the impression that is where we're going with this one. But Bubba is and always will be an absolute star. Now we are in with the the match of the century, my words, <laughs> not theirs, between Taz and Paul Varolins. Taz comes out with Fonzie. We also know, very interestingly, that outside the ring we have the Eliminators, RVD and Shane Douglas. More on that in a second. Who's undefeated in ECW, tells, says, says Fonzie to the microphone. And here comes Paul Varolins to the ring. With, again, very little fanfare. We are told that this is under shoot-fight rules. You win with a KO, 
submission or your opponent not answering a 10 count. Paul Barrowland is introduced to the crowd. He gets polite applause, but he gets a few boos as well. And Taz gets pretty much the same response. Fonzie, being Fonzie, tells Barrowlands that he's lucky I won't stretch you myself. <laughs> You're going to get choked out tonight. In a moment which left me, which floored me when I, when I, when I read it and heard it for about 10,000 times, Joey says, hello, a very cheery hello to any UFC fans who might be watching. <laughs> I could stay here and talk all night long. I'm calling my second shoot right here as I grumble underneath my breath. The bell rings and we finally get to the one we've all been waiting for. Taz versus Paul Varolins. And this really is the play-by-play that I'm going to give you. Taz begins with a single leg dive. The Varolins fights him off. They then have another go and they hit the ropes. Taz goes for it a third time, but Varolins locks in a chancery. Taz rolls through some attempted strikes from Varolins and they're both back up to a vertical base. Joey Styles on commentary. Varolins is not shot. He only counter-wrestled. I'm not even going there. <laughs> Taz hits a double leg takedown, but Varolins is able to block the punches. Varolins in with a Fujiwara armbar, but Taz fights that off into the ropes as well. We again get a mild UFC chant from the crowd. Uh, Varolins um, gives us a few light knees, and he knocks down Taz. And then from out of nowhere, Perry Saturn, that's Perry Saturn, comes off the top rope with a drop kick. Taz recovers and hits a T-bone suplex. He then puts Paul Varolins in the Taz mission. Paul Barrowlands taps out. I have written in my notes, what a bloody swizz. <laughs> all of that for all of this. Taz celebrates in the ring. At this point, it's worth noting that Paul Barrowlands has already left. A big and entirely deserved bullshit chant goes up. Taz, rather intelligently, however, grabs the mic. He says this, you know what? You're right. That was bullshit. He then mumbles something by kind of suggesting that this was a shoot and then it wasn't, but he, he sort of loses it. As I say, we also had microphone problems all, all day, which didn't help. Uh, a big chant goes up of, you ain't shit. We then get uh, a brief Sabu chant, and we are out. What a joke. Good luck, Steve. <laughs> well, obviously this wasn't what they had in mind originally. <laughs> When, you know, when they put all this together, we had the um, the really sort of good, as we mentioned on TV, uh, set up to this. Then we had the contract signing, which adds a level of sort of legitimacy to it all. Um, so they've given it the big build up. Uh, Varolins comes out on his own. So straight away that rang alarm bells where when Taz comes out with sort of half the locker room. So already you get a sense that something has happened or they think that something might happen and they are doing everything they can to make sure that no one goes into business for themselves during the match um, because I was expecting, you know, an entourage, but I wasn't expecting Valens to come out on his own. Um, after the initial couple of seconds, it becomes very clear that we're not getting anything even close to a shoot. Um, the kicks from Valens are not you know, they're not only awkward, but they're, they're horrible. Um, and Taz is in total control of this from start to finish. Um, Valorant just looks horrendous. Um, and then very quickly, we've got Saturn hitting the ring. Valorant does the job, but as you say, he just disappears. He looked awful. The crowd didn't buy it. And, um, and also on top of all that, from what we read, 
poor uh, Valens didn't even get his uh, his blowjob um, backstage <laughs> that was promised to him. <laughs> so a bad night all round for everyone. And then the crowd hit a, a quite base but sort of quite good UF shit chant, um, which I thought was quite uh, fun. Yes, that's what it was. UF shit, they say, which yeah. is uh, quite quite basic, but you know, did the job, and then before they just switched to a Sabu chant and, and that's it. Uh, Taz does his best to save it on the mic, as you say, by suggesting that, yeah, actually this was bullshit and, you know, we we know it's bullshit, but we don't really get a satisfying conclusion to it and it's just never mentioned again. Uh, never mentioned again. I quite like the sound of that, actually. Uh, Dale? It was, uh, it was no Shamrock Seven. But um, <laughs> um, I I don't know I wasn't I wasn't quite as bad on this as you used to I mean it wasn't it wasn't it really good but the build up as Steve says that the bit where like the contract signing the the videos that were quite smartly produced as ECW usually does they're very good with an editor um, the start of the match I mean I know it only went two minutes but as Steve was saying as well the first kind of half minute or so it looked. Alright, there was, kind of, it was more legit, as I said, than, than some of the shoots we've seen with, with Taz before, when you get people jumping 10 feet in the air to help him with a suplex, this was a wee bit more legit looking. Probably 90% of that was due to the fact that these two clearly had issues. But, um, there was some takedowns in it, there's some guards getting through up in it. The kicks weren't they much, but it, it was, it was good in paper, it didn't come off in TV, Taj tried his best at the end, I thought it kind of blurred the lines very, very much with the post-match promo. Um, it wasn't quite as bad as it's been made out to be, but dare I say if it wasn't here, then it wouldn't really be missing much as a show, but with the build-up that they gave it, they had to get some kind of attention, but it's over, it's done with, I don't know really what the end goal was meant to be in paper, but it filled a spot for all it's worth, though. I thought it wasn't that bad. Uh, it could have been a contender, couldn't it? Um, I was absolutely speechless when I, as soon as I saw Perry Saturn, again, <laughs> Saturn, climb the ropes and hit a drop kick on a UFC fighter. And that was enough for the ECW wrestler to hit a T-bone suplex and his finishing move. And defeat a fighter in two minutes. I thought, okay, what was the point of this? Thankfully, he had his good eye on Paul Varowin, so at least they had the target. <laughs> oh goodness me, you're on today, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, that really that could have been nasty. After all of this, what was this meant to prove? Now, having read through the observers uh, for this particular month, there was huge debates. Huge, huge debates backstage as to what this match was actually going to be. It was decided a few days before the event that this was absolutely going to be um, a word contest, as if anybody doubted that there was going to be anything else. There was a little bit of talk, supposedly, that they were actually going to go out there and have a real shoot. But if you're asking me, I think that's a complete non-starter. Now, it appears as though Varolin's actually winning the match was never seriously considered. The main debates were on how Varolans was going to lose. It was originally suggested to him that he was going to do an absolutely clean job, but he turned that one down flat. There's also a lot of discussion about whether or not he or the Paul Heyman agreed or then disagreed 
over the suggestion that both of the eliminators are going to come in and hit him with total elimination. Now, as it turns out, we got the horrible little compromise that was, I'm going to say again, Perry Sutton hitting a dropkick. <laughs> Is that really the best that they could do? And looking at all the available options, I honestly think that it was. On the outside, we had him, we had RVD, we had the Eliminators, we had RVD, and we had Shane Douglas. Supposedly, they were out there in case things got a little bit genuinely heated in there. <laughs> Whether I would really want RVD in there throwing spin kicks this is another matter of ops and danger, but, you know, we are where we are. And it just looked right from the start of this match as the ECW were trying far too hard to cover their own backs They'd almost admitted defeat on this one before they'd actually got the match going. And for what it's worth, I'm, I'm kind of with you, Del. The, what we got to see was only two minutes, but it actually wasn't hmm. complete without merit. Um, I'll, uh, I'm with you on that. But there was still very little. It does raise the question of, okay, what are you going to see? You're not going to get a 25-minute worked wrestling match between these two. You're not going to see that. But in the end, it was neither one thing or the other. And this particular attempt at cross-promotion has, in my opinion, failed and failed badly. Uh, Mr. Bob Bamber, would you like to come in with a few words on this one? Yes, uh, I always like to remind people that I'm around, even on shows I'm not on. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, an interesting, probably, not to necessarily add to the discussion, although I, I, I would probably say I, I, I hated it as much as the collective three of you did. Um, but more just a little bit of context for those people that haven't really got much exposure to, uh, to MMA. We've, we've done four podcasts on that so far, so if you're looking for a, uh, a bit more of an introduction to that, including some uh, fights from Paul Varlians, you can, uh, you can hear those on there. Um, but I, I, kind of like you guys, I don't really know what they were trying to achieve with this. In that I think the idea was, well, if we have, you know, Taz go over a, a, a shoot fighter, it will lend credibility to Taz as this legitimate guy. But they never really thought how they were going to get there. Um, and the fact that as much as I don't get the sense there are a queue of UFC names lining up to compete in ECW, not that none of them don't wrestle, a couple of them do, uh, pro wrestle obviously, um, but in terms of which UFC name you could have got from a aesthetics point of view as much as Paul Valens is a big guy he is not an aggressive fighter he's a very defensive kind of fighter the losses we've seen him sustain in USC have been results of him not kind of going in too hard or getting caught more just a case of him getting kind of chopped down um basically on the point that you know he's generally much larger than his opponents um but yeah it was a nice idea. I get the sense that Paul Valians was interested in being pro wrestler as Paul Valians the person, not as Paul Valians the UFC fighter, which I don't think helped. Um, but yeah, you go into a situation where, you know, you try and, f- you try and say something's real when everyone knows it's not. And it looks, and let's be honest, it looks shit. It looked like no, it looked like no fight that's ever happened, and it was completely unbelievable. We, yeah, we saw it in the in the fight earlier in the month. You know, you're trying to say this is a shoot fight, and you've got guys going up for suplexes, 
um, you weigh all that and you kind of go, was it worth the effort? And I think the biggest turning point of year one was Taz's post-match promo, which was telling enough as it was, but also the fact they just haven't gone back to it. Um, you know, I don't think people will remember it. Well, maybe they will on the basis that it was just so bad, but I think if ECW do their best to gloss over it as quick as they can, maybe people will forget it. But it look, we were discussing it a couple of months ago. It looks shit going in. This whole thing of trying to present shoot fights, like, you know, on a show that's otherwise worked, doesn't make any sense. But the real issue they had was that it would have been okay had it looked like a good fight. It looked like a horrendous fight. And I think, Roy, you say, what would have been the better option? I don't know that it would have been the end of the world just to let them fight. Like, I, you know, Valians wouldn't have kicked Taz's ass. He's not that kind of fighter. He probably would have beaten him. Uh, in fact, I'm sure he would have beaten him. Um, but in terms of what was the way of, of making this work the best, just let him go. That's probably where I'd come for it from. Would a defeat, uh, a legitimate defeat for Taz hurt him, do you think? No, I think if if enough people saw it and, and believed it to be real, and this is the kind of audience where if word gets out that it was a shoot fight, they'd probably find it. I think if Taz, you know, got beat by an MMA fighter, I don't know if that would have been the end of the world. I don't, I, I'd be very, very surprised he'd be any worse off than he was at the end of this now. In the, I, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think he's gained anything from this. No, I no agree. way. Yeah. And let us never speak of it again. <laughs> so, just to finish this off, ECW made no more mention of this at all um, during the remainder of, um, of this particular broadcast. And... Uh, the ensuing edition of Hardcore TV. Not a bean, not an absolute bean. So I think ECW learnt their lesson here and they learnt it the hard way. Uh, it's a shame, but uh, they screwed the pooch big time here, I'm afraid. And I don't think we'll be seeing them dabbling in cross-promotion again any time soon. We see Raven being accompanied to the ring by Stevie Richards and Nova. And for those keeping score on this sort of thing, Raven is wearing a KMFDM shirt today. Richards gets the mic and tells us about the mission. He told me to get the dirtiest, slimiest, ugliest beep that Dancing Stevie Richards could find. We recap the Divine Brown, uh, the Divine Brown and Blue Dust office. And tonight here at, uh, tonight here at Hardcore Heaven, this is the worst I could get. Without further ado, I give you the Sandman's ex-wife Peaches, who really is the Sandman's wife, by the way. She drops to her knees in front of Raven, and unsurprisingly, here comes Sandman, accompanied by Missy Hyatt. He gets the mic and suggests that uh, his wife is uh, already of somewhat ill repute, and that, uh, to all intents and purposes, he's kind of okay with Raven having a really. Again, we had some technical problems here. The mic did swallow a lot of what they were trying to say, but that's kind of the gist of it. Sandman is basically going to let her, let her go ahead. So if Raven wants to get into the Sandman's head, he ain't going to be able to do it that way. And we cut back to Joey Styles in the back and telling us that Raven is about to defend the ECW title against the recognised number one contender by the other IWA promotion in Japan. Nobody knows who it is. Uh, we head back to the ring to see there's none other than Terry Bam Bam Gordy, who gets, it must be said, a very big pop. And we are straight into the match for the ECW title between Raven and Terry Gordy. We spill straight to the outside and over the guardrail with some punches and chair shots already. Um, the camera loses them until we see Raven busted wide open and gets hit with a chair again and again and again. Gordy then brings in a frying pan just to mix things up a bit. As we learn from Joey that Terry Gordy was pronounced clinically dead twice. Not in the context of this match, I don't believe. I think we're going back in time here. 
Uh, we go back to the aisle with a lot of punches and a clothesline and a lot more clobbering and a lot more clobbering, followed by a corner clothesline. Uh, Richards hits the ring and kind of hits a Stevie kick, not one of his best, I have to be honest, allowing Raven time to deliver a low blow. And Raven gets handed some barbed wire. He goes to hit Gordy with it, but misses. And Gordy then knocks him out. Uh, Gordy applies the Oriental Spike, which to my eyes is just basically a sleeper hold, uh, while Richards and Nova hit the ring to try to drag him off. Uh, Tommy Dreamer hits the ring with a double DDT for the heels, and he gets he gets then prime time slammed by Brian Lee for his trouble. trouble. Uh, Lee then gets a powerbomb from Gordy. Uh, Terry then grabs the barbed wire as we get a big ECW chant. He rams Raven's head into the buckle with barbed wire wrapped around it. That's wrapped around Raven's head, by the way. And he also clocks the ref, which was a bit stupid. Um, Stevie back in the ring with a much better Stevie kick this time. Raven hits a DDT and that's enough for the three count. Um, we'll talk about the match before we get to the post-match stuff. Um, Dale, what do you make of this? I was very surprised with the appearance of Bam Bam. Um, I do have a lot of time from the last time I seen them was that um, IWA King of the Death Match tournament, but I've got a lot of time for the boy. I don't know whether it's just because he's a big fella and he's a bit simple. I've got an affinity with him, but I I like Bam Bam Gordy. It's better than the time that um, who was it that showed up for Shane Douglas again? I think was it Line of Horseman? I'm sure turned up. Was it? Was it, wasn't it? was it Tully, I think, that turned up with Shane Douglas, and it just yeah. stunk the house out. Um, bam, bam, a foot done well. He's certainly not what he was in his day, but he's still got enough chops. The match itself, a bit kind of slow-paced at parts, but had a lot of time for it. It never went too long, which was good. It was smartly edited, which was good. There's obviously the stuff that will come on, which gave it that extra wee bit of spice. But for what it was, I thought it was pretty good. Steve? Yeah, yeah, definitely. They made uh, uh, Gordy look like a, a monster uh, when he come out. I mean, he's had his he's had his demons, um, as as we know. But you know, whether it's just a one off, one night sort of thing, he looked fantastic. You know, he, he he hit everything that he wanted to hit. I think there was already the the power bomb that sort of let him down a bit. Um, that he, that he gave on uh, give to Brian Lee. But um, no, I, I I thought it was great. It didn't go too long. It didn't overstay. And then we. Went into some uh, sort of interesting post-match stuff, didn't we? Uh, to say the very least, um, I wasn't too hot on this match. I'm afraid uh, I've never been a massive fan of um, Terry Gordy. I've got to be honest. Uh, they played to his strengths here, which was basically punch, kick, chair shot. Uh, it was only about four or five minutes, which it needed to be anything else, and his obvious limitations would have been exposed. But again, it goes back to the point we make a lot on this pod: the ECW title is. Almost the afterthoughts, afterthoughts sometimes. I mean, this is a big event, and Raven didn't even know who he was going to be facing. Nobody knew who he was going to be facing until the match itself begun. Ah, you've got, I know ECW, they've also got so many other things going on, but you've got to make your main title mean something. Uh, and this match for me was nothing, and it did nobody any favours. But we have got a fair bit of post-match stuff to discuss, so here we go. Find her. 
in the Sermon's ex-wife Pinky. That is the Sandman and Peach's son, Tyler. Come on, Tyler, tell him. Daddy, you're drunk. Now, I worship Raven. Oh, he worships me. Oh, my. And Dreamer, that you got in the ring wasn't woman enough to sire a child like this one. And you, you used unprotected sex with my old lady, but you're wasn't man enough to impregnate her. Oh, oh my God. Lord, everybody in the ring seen Sandman kick your ass. But I'll pet fight you right now, all over this arena. Tommy Dreamer hits a DDT, then Lee hits a primetime slam on the chair. The heels now beat up Dreamer and Gordy, and of course, here comes the Sandman. He gives Nova a cane shot as the heels bail. Sandman slowly walks towards Raven with cane in hand. Raven and crew back towards the ramp, and then we see that with them is Sandman's son, Tyler. Raven says that he has Tyler. Tyler gets given the mic, and he says this, Daddy, you're a drunk. Now I worship Raven. Bloody hell. Uh, Beulah then challenges Peaches to a cat fight, which I think was completely out of place and happened about three months too early. Um, Raven then drags everybody out. Now this is, this is where the, the angle breaks down for me. We then see Sandman walking down, uh, walking down the, walking down the aisle, um, in the throes of Emmy fever, doing his very best acting thing, saying, don't do this to me, Tyler. An emotional moment. However, none of the crowd care because Terry Gordy is still in the ring milking the crowd's chance. <laughs> I have no idea why they mix these two different segments together. As if that wasn't bad enough, we're then treated to Blue Dust again. He gets the mic and tells us that now we have the pleasure of Blue Dust. Uh, that doesn't last for long because Kimona kicks him in the balls. Then Beulah, Beulah gives him a DDT. We get a She's Hardcore chant and we are out. Uh, Steve, uh, make sense of all of this for me, please. Uh, I, I don't think I can. Look, look anything, <laughs> anything goes in professional wrestling. You know, we know that it, it exists in its own world, especially ECW. And there are things that, you know, if they were presented outside of that world, you know, fake heart attacks and things, things like that, they'd be in very bad taste, you know, and we accept that. And on the whole, you know, Things like this can can be accepted because it's happening in wrestling and it's okay and we treat it differently and generally I'm okay with that. But to start adding the son, Tyler, into it, I think for me is a bit bad taste and bad taste in wrestling, you know, really has to sort of overstep the mark. I don't think the kid looked very comfortable being out there. I don't know how old he is. Um, Nine, so, you know, I mean, he's not even a teenager who might have thought that this was absolutely fantastic. Um, I'm sure he got a kick out of it to be able to sort of talk on the microphone and, you know, he delivered his line. But actually, I think he starts to look a bit uncomfortable with it all. And I actually think he starts to look a bit scared um, when him, Peaches and Raven are sort of retreating to the back. Um, I, I didn't like it um, at all. And then... It just broke down anyway, but it, using um, Samman's son at nine-year-old is not really uh, for me. 
I don't know whether it's my suspense disbelief, uh, Rory, but I genuinely loved the Tyler stuff. Um, it was, for as much as I usually praise ECW for their smart edits, it was pretty cut together with the bam bam flashes and then the, the blue dust and Beulah bits and that works in its own entity, but when you're, when you're finishing something with it, Sandman's, well, not even Sandman, Jim Fullington's kid coming out and saying, Daddy, you're a drunk, I worship Raven. And even the bit that Steve was on to where it's like, ah, he's not a natural, but for a nine-year-old kid, I think, I don't know why I'm just reading too much into it, and I'm just a an ECW fanboy too much at heart. I thought that I actually played into the Raven character, where he's clearly just brainwashed, this boy. And um, I thought it was really, really smart storytelling. It just wasn't quite... As good as it could have been just with the edit of the, the edit of the tape. I imagine that would be a similar cast off with the live show. But for a storytelling point of view, I thought it was, it was pretty, pretty special stuff. Well, it was different. I'll give them that. Ah. They always have to go a bit further, don't they, ECW? <laughs> WWF tries to ratchet things up by suggesting that the WWF champion likes to put it about a bit. WCW ratchet things up by having two people coming from another organisation threatening to take over. But that's nothing compared to ECW, but somebody <laughs> turn against them. <laughs> Trump card, Paul Heyman. Now, um, I did not like this angle, I must be honest. This is going too far. I wouldn't have had a problem if we'd have some sort of pro- promo with... What I would have done, if I fancy booking out, I would have got rid of the section at the start where Sandman said he wasn't really bothered about his ex-wife aligning with Raven. I would have got rid of that completely. I would have had the reveal at the end uh, with Peaches, and then I would have had Raven cut a promo, and then maybe suggesting something like, oh, maybe your son's involved as well. I don't think we needed to see Tyler out there, and I agree with you, Steve. He looked very uncomfortable, and I, we can't blame him for that at all. And he was clearly waiting for his cue as well. So, uh, Raven, rather cutely actually, um, tapped him on the shoulder, which is fine. I don't have a problem with that at all. No, he's a nine-year-old kid. Uh, they went too far here. And as I all, often say with a lot of ECW angles, you know, where do they go with this? I mean, there are, there are avenues that I get the impression they want to explore here. Would I recommend them doing so? Who knows? I just hope they've got a real end game for this one and they don't tie themselves in knots. Um, but again, despite my dislike of the angle, I think they got it completely wrong. Uh, I wanted, if my son has turned on me and I'm in the process of telling a story, I want every single pair of eyes tranched on me when I walk to the back. I don't want them chanting for Terry freaking Gordy. I want them watching me. And the crowd would have, the crowd would have had, um, uh, the crowd would have had sympathy for Sandman, even if they just responded by their big uh, Go Sandman chant. That would have been fine. But I don't see why they had to mix it in with everything else. Um, they say the Bueller challenging Peaches to a cat fight um, just killed the momentum. That's happened way too early. Um, but we've got to see Blue Dust get beaten up, so all's well that ends well. But um, this angle is definitely one to watch, I think. Uh, we reset with a jump cut to New Jack and Mustafa, who were told their last shot at the tag team titles. And before the, before they can get to the ring, the, before they get to the ring, the Samoan gangster party, um, Samu the Silk and Mac Daddy Kane, attack them from behind, and we have ourselves a brawl. Here come the Bruce brothers who beat up Jack. While all this is going on, the Eliminators are waiting in the ring. 
Uh, the Samoans are eventually sent to the back, and the Harris brothers just kind of sort of disappear as well. Joey asks, so now what? New Jack is busted wide open at this point, and he and Mustafa are helped out. Sam gets on the mic, saying that he didn't want the Bruce brothers' help, and challenges them to a title match. So I guess that's what we've got now. Eliminators versus the Bruce brothers. Saturn hits a Savak kick, then a scoop slam on an elbow. Cronus hits a very nice spinning back elbow on the other um, Bruce brother. Saturn and Cronus um, then get taken to the outside and thrown into and then through a table. We then get a generous ECW chant for that one. Uh, standard crowd brawl, uh, Joey Styles. Any resemblance to a sanctioned wrestling match is purely coincidental. <laughs> Saturn misses a moonsault and Cronus gets double kicked. Uh, now the gangsters hit the ring again, wearing bandages, which looks a little hokey to me, and they attack everybody. Bin and share shots for anything that moves. The gangsters clear the ring. It's true what they say, payback is a bitch. And everyone then spills to the outside, we have ourselves a Pier 6. Uh, the refs are back, the gangsters crawl back into the ring, and they sort of celebrate um, with their flag. We then get another jump cut, because we haven't had enough of those today, to in the ring uh, Axel Rotten and the extreme shot of ECW, Hack Myers. They are introduced as being against the Gangsters of Paradise, and bearing in, five, bearing in mind five minutes ago, they were called the Samoan Gangster Party. Uh, the crowd chant, who gives a fuck at this one? <laughs> Axel and Kane start with some punches. Kane overpowers him to some Yokozuna chants, which is just absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Rotten takes a clothesline and gets two from a clothesline of his own. The Shah comes in with punches. He exchanged those with Samu as the crowd chant, Shah, Shah, Shah. Uh, the uh, gangsters hit a double headbutt, and as soon as they do, the gangsters are back out again. Now come the Eliminators. Now come the Bruise Brothers. Everyone attacks everyone. And then, because everyone's having so much fun, the rest of the locker room hit the ring. I'm beginning to see how the ring broke at this point. Joey threatens to call the Riot Squad, whilst everybody in the ring beats up everybody in the ring. It's absolute chaos, and this goes on for ages and ages and ages, to the point where the crowd actually get pretty quiet. Um, they rally with an ECW chant, and then we are out. Del, your thoughts? Um, there's essentially what's on paper three matches in this. Yes. And um, I'd be struggling to tell you much about anything. Um, <laughs> the Eliminators gangster story... Chugging along fine, going a couple of months now, there's a full tag thing that jumps, the backstage attacks, very reminiscent of the, the gangsters and the enemy before they went to Atlanta. Makes sense, you've got Ron and Don Harris, Don and Ron Harris, Ron, Don, Don, Ron, whoever's who. Um, that kind of adds an element to it when you're getting it kind of built up going in that this is a gangster's last shot and then you've got the beat down. Does that really? I mean, it's, it doesn't appear to me that I don't think the gangsters are getting wrote out for TV because one of the big companies is going to sign them up because God help us if New Jack ever goes national. But it was just a bit. Well, I don't know. Maybe we are, I don't know what the the FCC would make in New Jack. But who knows? It is, it is 1996, but in the modern world. Um, Aye, it was just too much of a cluster for me that uh, the pull apart brawls have got a place. The fact that there was so much and so many, and as you say about the ring situation, the the full mix up with a Samoan gangster party who clearly no one gave a fuck about because they told us, um, I could just kind of something happened. It's now over. That's that. Steve. 
Well, what should have been, um, you know, sort of an ECW palate cleanser after the, the Sandman sort of thing just went on for probably, I don't know, was it 20 minutes or so of just pull aparts and run-ins and, and things like that. We might end up, you know, where eventually we get a wild sort of three team sort of match for the, for the titles, perhaps, um, depending on what, what they do with it. But this just went on and on and on and, you know, in the end, the sort of, as you say, the crowd got sort of bored and they didn't need much of an excuse to start pelting the ring with trash, which is what they did at the end. And there was a couple of hokey things in there. The gangsters, when they came back with the bandages on it, you know, it looked like they'd just gone to see the school nurse, the way the bandages had been, <laughs> had been sort of applied. Um, I quite, you know, to add to the international flavour of the, uh, of, of the events, um, I noticed that Axel Rotten, was fighting out in Newcastle, England, so that sort of adds to the international flavour. But uh, no, it was just um, sort of a messy, not really anything, 20 minutes or so here where not much came out of it. Yep, I'm, I'm with you guys. I like the idea of um, uh, three tag teams um, wanting to win the tag team titles and doing whatever they can to get themselves noticed to do so. That's a good thing. But... It just led to lots and lots of Tyson brawls that we've seen a million times. If ECW had what we know as uh, episodic television programs, I would have had no problem this appearing on an episode of Hardcore TV. But with it taking place and taking up 20 minutes of actual um, proper event time, I lost interest very, very quickly. Uh, as soon as the Bruce Brothers came out the second time, I just knew we were going to get another 10 minutes of this and... It was a decent idea, something which happened for good reasons, but the execution was off and I was just sat on my hands long before the end of it. But we move on with uh, Chris Jericho making his way to the ring for his match against the new TV champion Pitbull 2. Jericho gets a nice pop, bit of a mixed reaction for Pitbull 2, and we are in with this match. Uh, Pitbull throws Jericho out of the ring from a tie-up. Uh, Jericho gets back in, uh, hits a spin kick. Uh, goes for another, but Pitbull catches him and slams him down, kind of chug slam move. Um, think um, Akushi beating one two three kid at SummerSlam '95 for that one. Uh, he gets a cover for two, then hits a press slam setup straight into a tombstone that was breathtakingly good. Jericho fights back with some slaps, and then we are into a slugfest. Uh, another press slam by the Pitbull too. Pitbull chant goes up. Uh, he goes for an electric chair, which Jericho turns into, into a victory roll for two. Jericho tries the old get the big man down offense and resorts to a very nice head scissors as Pitbull goes for another press slam. Springboard drop kick takes the Pitbull out to the floor. Another spin, spin kick puts him to the outside. Then Jericho at warp speed hits a beautiful springboard moonsault. Jericho is then met on the outside with a big chair shot. We end up back in the ring. PB applies a neck vice, which he just sort of let, lets go of. We have yet another Irish whip reversal. Um, Jericho finds his way onto the apron vaults onto the ropes and hits what we must now call the Paul Barrelands dropkick to get two. We then have a bit of a move battle that ends with an enziguri with a two. Uh, PB barely kicked out of that one. Um, uh, PB then hits back with a stun gun uh, out of a first press attempt by Jericho. Uh, he then gets a pin from a snapmare for two. Uh, PB sends Jericho into the buckles and hits a fantastic fall away super slam, as Joey calls it. Both men are then down after that. Uh, Shane Douglas appears to try to steal the belt off Francine. He plants a kiss on her and she slaps him. Um, Pitbull 2 uh, steps outside the ring to try and sort everything out. And he accidentally closed front scene. Yep, she takes yet another bump. Jericho goes up to the top rope and hits a big body press, but he only hits Douglas. 
Pitbull 1 comes out to survey the damage here. Pitbull 2 finds his way back into the ring and he counters a top rope Rana into a very sloppy powerbomb. He barely held on to Jericho there and very nearly dropped him. That could have been quite nasty. Uh, Jericho hits back with a lion salt, but he's caught and both men fight over a tombstone reversal spot. Jericho falls out of the ring after that. Jericho goes for another body press but is caught into a power slam for two. Uh, we then fight up to the buckles again. This time PB gets crotched on them. Jericho hits a super Rana, getting a three count and winning the TV title. Douglas tries to get in, but uh, Pitbull 2 grabs the belt, hands Jericho the belt and raises his hand. Ah. Douglas is still fighting to enter the ring as we jump cut away. What did you make of this one, Steve? Oh, I loved it. I thought this was a great match. Um, some really big power moves from, from Pitbull 2, um, which Jericho does a, a brilliant job of selling. We uh, we see a Hart Family Dungeon trademark of uh, the sternum first into the corner from from Jericho. Um, the head scissors, which was more like a, a an arm or a shoulder scissors, uh, actually look good. Um, we see some great sort of kicks and um, a hard moon salt, um, which finally put Pitbull down. And you know, no matter how many chair shots you see, and we've probably seen you know scores of them um, at this event. There's always a, a more brutal one round the corner, and um, Pitbull he, he hit Jericho with uh, with an absolute humdinger of a, of a chair shot um, during this match. Uh, some real deafening slaps and chops as, as well from Jericho. It was uh, uh, it, it was brutal sort of stuff. Um, when Douglas gets involved or looking for the belt. Um, which follows up on the sort of promo stuff that he did earlier on, um, where he didn't really want the belt and now he wants it. And he's just perfected that. He's got this, I can only describe as a, a shit-eating grin um, on his face, which even when Francine slaps him, he, he's still got it. He, he's just brilliant. Um, as you say, there's a bit of fun with the couple of reversals from the line salt into a tombstone attempt that um, look good and then the ending um, I really enjoyed seeing and I thought it was good seeing Pitbull handing the title over to uh, Jericho as Douglas just goes absolutely ballistic at ringside I thought that made sense um, with the story that they're trying to tell Between the end of the the Raven Peaches Tyler Fullington angle and then the tag Kind of cluster this, the show took a bit of that for me. This really brought it back up. I think they've done with the Karangerated Pitbull 1. As I said earlier on, the fact that Pitbull 2 hasn't even got a name. I think they've worked wonders in building him up. The fact that he was legitimately looking like a, a champion when he came into this, I think they've done brilliant. Jericho, for the very little I've seen him, just looks like an absolute star between him and Rob Van Dam. They've got so many of these two. Um, I thought the match itself was really good. They did really play up to the big man, little man stuff. Um, they, they kind of clicked in the ring, which was good. It was good. I really didn't expect the end with the the title change. If it leads on to a on a Shane Douglas Jericho match, whether it's in the next month or two, or if it's later in the year, as long as we get that match, I am very much in on this, Rory. Yeah, me too. Um, three from three on this one. Uh, this was great stuff. I think. I mean, Jericho's only been with us um, for about, what, three or four months, and already he's an absolute ring general in there. Every ECW match I've seen with Chris Jericho, he manages to adapt his style. Uh, he was in there, in there with Taz, in there with Cactus Jack, in there with Pitbull 2. But every time, he's still Chris Jericho. He's adapting his own style, not just trying to mimic the style of um, somebody he's in up against. 
Uh, and he gave Pitbull 2 a lot here. There were a lot of um, handy setup moves. Not that I would call this much a carry job by any stretch of the imagination. Any stretch of the imagination, Pitbull 2 more than kept up his end, and he hit some beautiful moves. That press slam into a tombstone. Uh, that's a finish, really. I mean, that happened after about one minute. <laughs> Absolute corker of a move, and. They had really good chemistry in there as well, I thought. They were there for each other. Uh, they didn't even come close to messing anything up apart from the sloppy powerbomb from the top rope, Rana. They, you'd only really know that looked sloppy if you knew what you were looking for. And sadly, me being the cynic that I am, I know what I'm looking for, but uh, I'm not going to mark them down for that. Uh, it was a very high degree of difficulty and they just about pulled it off. Uh, a great finish and uh, a really lovely moment. I have no issues at all with Chris Jericho winning about this early into his uh, ECW career. He fully deserves it, and I hope we've got some more for Pitbull too as well, because he's shown that he can definitely get it done in, in singles. So, big thumbs up here from me on this one. Uh, our next match is going to be the weapons match between uh, Tommy Dreamer and Brian Lee. Uh, we see Bueller and Winona coming down to ringside, but Tommy sneak attacks Lee from behind, so we're in already. Uh, there are four bins in the ring which just fill to the brim with weapons. Uh, Tommy empties the bins and just hits uh, Brian Lee with anything he can find. Uh, Joey and I agree it's difficult to see what they're actually hitting each other with. We fall outside and Tommy eats a table face first, then gets belted over the head with a pallet. We end up in the crowd. Well, I'm stunned. They go all the way to the back and then all the way outside. Uh, lots of crowd members are following them here, so we can't really see them for about 20 or 30 seconds. Uh, the camera eventually finds us with Dreamer being rammed into a truck. He then gets another face-first shot into a metal garage door. He's busted wide open. And then Lee absolutely hammers his face into it about five or six more times. Take care of your opponent, man. Uh, Dreamer then hits back with a steel chair. Remember, we're outside at this point. <laughs> he uses the chair, then rams Lee into the metal door. They nip across the parking lot, parking lot again, and again the camera loses them. We cut back to Lee hitting a suplex in the street. They're off again, heading towards the building this time. Lee gets sent into a brick wall on the way there. Tommy Dreamer is now bleeding from the back of his head. I'm not sure how he sustained that. Possibly from the suplex. And then somebody pulls out a cheese grater, which uh, Joey decides not to call. They sort of just mosey back to the arena at this point, although Dreamer is absolutely covered in blood. Dreamer again gets hit with yet another chair. Tommy hits back with a metal tray. And then, I'm not making this up, a bona fide, honest-to-God mailbox. Joey Styles on commentary, that's a COD, a concussion on delivery. Oh, you wag, Joey. Lee responds with a bin lid shot of his own. Dreamer fights him off and misses with a guitar shot. Uh, but he then, uh, uh, Brian Lee then hits Dreamer with the primetime slam. Lee uh, goes outside and brings in a cinder block and a baseball bat. Bueller tries to pull Lee off, but he goes to choke slammer. Uh, Kimona comes in dressed in a dressing gown and performs a strip tease, not for the last time today. Back to the hard camera, I'm afraid, if you, you know, if you're interested. Uh, that provides enough distraction for Dreamer to grab a stop sign, DDT him onto it, and then get the win. As soon as the count goes down, the Bruce Brothers hit the ring. We then get an awkward edit on our tape, and we jump cut back to the balcony, in which Lee and Dreamer are right up there. Uh, we assume Dreamer's been beaten up, beaten up at this point because he's pretty prone. Uh, we then see uh, three tables being set up below them. Lee hauls Dreamer up in the air and choke slams him down off the stage through three tables. Joey Styles says, oh my God, get an ambulance. Can't Dreamer just get to celebrate a win for once, I say? 
Unbelievable. Dal, what did you make of all of this? These matches, as we spoke about before, tend to kind of, when we're looking back, they almost kind of dwell into one. Um, the match isn't a title match. It's not a sustained blood feud, i.e. Tommy and Raven, but it, I thought it kind of filled a spot in this card very well. Um, coming off the back of Jericho Pitbull, before that, you had the cluster to the tag situation. The brawls were very well placed in this show, and I think this was possibly the highlight of it, because it felt like something. Um, Dreamer is an absolute workhorse for this company. Primetime Brian Lee is finally, for me, stepping out the shadow of the Underfaker. Um, that's something that could just straddle somebody for a lifetime. Who knows, it might still yet. But I thought they'd really done well. We knew coming into this, it was billed as an all-weapons match. We knew it was going to have a brawl. We didn't quite see it going outside and the blood and the suplex and the street, things like that. But for me, it was very well delivered. There was a few kind of sloppy bits in the middle where it just look after the one that you're in there with. Because if they're not there next month and you'll not have them to fight, it's common sense. But for me, it, it was... It was well delivered, it was well worked. We knew what we were getting going in. Are we going to remember it in six months or time? I don't think so, but that's not what it's there for. It's there to fill a spot. It done it very well, fair play to the two of them. Steve? In general, these sort of weapons matches don't really do much for me, just because there's too much sort of crap in the ring and, and there's too many weapons and stuff like that. In saying that, they did a very good job with what they were given. I did think there was it got to a bit where there was a lot of uh, walking um, from sort of spot to spot um, sort of later on in the match but it was all about that um, choke slam or the prime time slam as, as, as I suppose we'll call it now um, through the, the three tables um, which had been set up previous on TV he'd gone through two I think it was wasn't it and this is yep. uh, th- th- this was three um, so it had been set up for that Um that was the highlight for me um, of, of of the match. It was it was what it was, um, but yeah, you know, and it and it was a good spot on the card. Yeah, um, as a semi-main event, I suppose this did what it had to really. When this was announced a couple of weeks ago on Hardcore TV as being a weapons match, uh, my heart sank because I thought, oh, a weapons match, gee, that's novel, and I wasn't disappointed in a roundabout way with what I got. It was just them hitting each other with cool stuff for about eight or nine minutes. If you're trying to sell this as some kind of blood feud, and every ECW match is basically a weapons match anyway, if you try to push that button too hard, you almost push it into the realms of farce. And I think that's where we were getting here. I mean, when you're hitting somebody with a, a mailbox or whacking them with a, a sort of a, a, like a, a mini guitar, like, okay, yeah, ha ha, very funny, you hit each other with stuff. You know, where's the intensity? Not that there wasn't any of that actually in this match. I mean, all, too much so. I mean, Lee, Lee hit Dream up far too hard into the metal garage door. I was, he was taking liberties with him there and I didn't like it one bit. Um, comparatively, the choke slam, which was a jaw dropping visual, was fairly inverted commas safe by comparison. Uh, this didn't feel like a blood feud to me, like I said. And I'm not sure where we're going with this. Dreamer getting the clean win, i.e. winning with a stop sign, would kind of suggest to me we're not going to see these two again. But um, you never know as far as ECW goes. I mean, I'm with you, Del. I mean, 
Dreamer will never win many awards for finesse, but he leaves it all in the ring or outside the ring in this case. Oh, and I've, got take, I've got to take my heart off to him for that. The guy is, he is an absolute workhorse. Um, but two of these uh, guys probably did the best they could given the circumstances. But sometimes I do think that ECW just, <laughs> they've been to this well about 10,000 times too often. And I think they are due a bit of a rethink. At this point is where we believe uh, the ring collapsed, um, postponing the show for about an hour, where we had the second kimono strip tease of, uh, of the evening. Yes, I mentioned kimono strip teasing again. And we had uh, a heel promo, as we called it earlier, from uh, Shane Douglas. Uh, but a heel promo, he did the old three fingers, four fingers thing. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry. Um, I can't imagine all of that going on about half an hour. Oh, perish the thought. Um, it was eventually about half past midnight when we eventually got going here. And I should say, on the version of the tape uh, that we were watching, uh, none of this actually aired. So again, no kimono strip tease. So finally, we do have our main event of the evening between Rob Van Dam and Sabu. The crowd are not massively enthusiastic during the introductions, but we can't blame them for that because it's very late at night. Sabu removes his neck brace and we are finally underway. They exchange flip dives as Sabu wins the first takedown. He attacks RVD's legs, which is some neat psychology. Sabu then points to the sky, goes back for a few more kicks and a few more strikes to the back in the face. Uh, a snap there, followed by a slingshot something, gets two. Uh, he then hits a chin lock, turn that into a side headlock. Uh, RVD fights Sabu off, but as Sabu hits the rope, that top rope breaks, and it made a really nasty sound as well. Uh, the top rope is instantly hanging loose. I so say this is the top rope opposite the hard camera, so we can see it all as clear as day. Uh, the crowd are, at this point are absolutely furious, and they chant, fuck the ring. Uh, Sabu and RVD clearly uh, stall for time for a few seconds, and they're going to improvisation mode. Sabu nips out and grabs a chair and hits a triple jump moonsault. It's from the other side of the ring from the broken rope, which that could have been a bit dangerous, uh, but it looked absolutely beautiful. Uh, we roll outside for a battle on the guardrail, which Sabu wins. He then heads back into the ring and hits a taupe suicida. Uh, we then tumble into the crowd and he hits a chair to the back. Um, Joey Styles gets on the mic telling us about the hour-long delay. Uh, we brought back into the crowd into the bleachers because we haven't seen enough of that somewhere in this event. <laughs> RVD fights him onto a bleacher and then hits a guillotine leg drop, which could have been very, very nasty. Uh, Van Emmen throws a chair at Sabu and hits him with, well, an umbrella. <laughs> well, obviously. <laughs> uh, we then sort of stagger back to the ring. Van Damme goes up to the top rope and, with a chair in his hand, goes to hit what was supposed to be a somersault plancher, but it looked, it didn't look good at all. He, he barely connected. Uh, he gets two count off that. Uh, Sabu up quickly and hits another drop kick to the knee. Nostradamus Joey Styles tells us that Sabu has broken his finger. <laughs> Uh, we then get Air Sabu, which does connect. We have yet another Irish whip battle, which this time RVD wins. He then sets down a chair. He rolls over it, dives into a monkey flip with Sabu on the buckles. Then Sabu lands heavily on the prone chair. They could have got that spot very wrong, but they executed it perfectly. And again, a two count on that one. Uh, RVD jaws with a crowd member as he grabs a chair and he belts Sabu with it. Uh, not really knowing what else to do, he kind of hits a standing moonsault and we get, we then get a weak RVD sucks chance. Sabu hits back with yet another drop kick to the knee and I get the impression at this point they're flying without a net. Uh, slingshot Bulldog off the second rope with the ropes barely holding him by Sabu gets yet another two count. RVD counters a belly to back suplex and they fall through the ropes. 
RVD is then placed between the rope, between the ropes, whilst lying over the apron. Sabah goes up and hits what is called an Arabian press guillotine. You just made that one up, didn't you, Joey? Sabu reaches for a chair, but RVD kicks it off right into his ribs, very stiffly indeed. Sabu outside and gets hit with a cannonball, and both men are down. RVD is then whipped into the steel. Sabu then vaults off a chair and a table, uh, pressing RVD against the steel. He then grabs the table and bridges it between the apron and the guardrail and puts RVD on it, but he manages to escape. Uh, he escapes into the crowd, which Sabu sees, so he jumps into the ring and then hits a top rope dive into the crowd connecting with RVD. The table is still standing at this point. RVD is rolled onto the table again. He stands up, conveniently enough, whilst uh, Sabu gets into the ring, vaults off the top rope, and hits a spike DDT right through the table. You sick, sick puppies. RVD very, very gingerly gets to his feet, rolls slowly back into the ring, and that gets a two count as well. In a very, very odd spot, Sabu goes for a triple jump moonsault, but crotches himself on the top rope with RVD nowhere near him. Was that planned? Was that a botch? I've got no idea. He does get a mild you fucked up chant, however. RVD responds with a sidekick to the outside. He sets up a chair on top of the guardrail and hits a gourd buster onto it. Again, we're back into the ring for two. Uh, They both climb up to the top rope. Uh, RVD goes for a top rope fisherman's buster, which Sabu blocks and throws RVD off. He hits a DDT but only gets a one count as RVD makes the rope. Uh, Sabu this time goes up to the top rope first. RVD follows him and cuts him off. And this time does hit the Super Fisherman's Buster. A delayed cover gets a two count. RVD then goes for a Fisherman's Buster in the ring but Sabu reverses it to one of his own. Uh, Sabu battles to grab a chair, just about manages and descends the top rope. He hits an Atomic Arabian Face Buster. Delayed cover gets one, two... And three, that surprised the crowd a bit, and me as well. Almost immediately, officials and damage control come in to attend to both men. Paulie looks particularly concerned over Sabu's neck. RVD gets stretched out very quickly. Uh, a second stretcher is called for for Sabu. Um, Joey puts over the skills and ability of both men. Sabu gets huge applause, and of course he actually tries to get to his feet. And eventually he does, but he collapses again. He is eventually put on the stretcher, and that is our main event. Steve? Yeah, well, it's hard to know what was presented, was what was planned, and what we got to see was, was what, the, what, what the plan was going to be. I think they did an incredible job of, um, of sort of pulling something together as the rope sort of went so soon into the match. Uh, I think they did the wise thing. They took it to the outside um, and, and sort of brawled out there for a bit whilst they sort of sussed out what, what they should do. And they obviously realised that the ring wasn't going to collapse um, again. Um, but they had to continue. They didn't have a choice. I, th- I think if they didn't have, if they wouldn't have continued, there could have been a riot. You know, these these guys, these fans have been waiting an hour already. Um, there's only so much stalling that you could do. So I think they were in a real difficult position, um, RVD and Sabu. I think they had to just carry on and do something, and um, I th- which is probably the right call, um, although they they certainly both looked in bad shape um, at the at the end of the match. And again, how much that was going to happen anyway, we don't know. Um, but I think once they realised that the ring probably wasn't going to collapse again, they sort of reverted to uh, plan A uh, inside the ring. But then they obviously realised the ropes were not up to anything. Um, so plan B, plan C, they just sort of did whatever they could, um, which I thought was brilliant. Um, 
there was a lot of stuff that looked awkward, but that was down to circumstances. I think um, if the ring and the ropes would have held up, we could have had a really sort of good, solid four-star match. Um, what we got instead was sort of, I think you have to sort of watch some of it through your fingers because you're thinking that they're really sort of putting on something here that hasn't really been maybe um, thought through because they are on the fly, but they pulled it off um, and the place looked like a, a, a car crash at the end, um, which, as I say, we, we don't know how much was intentional and how much sort of just happened through through circumstances. Um, but hats off to the guys. Yeah, yeah can, I, can I disagree with Steve uh, Rory? Um, could have been a four-star match, as he says. Probably ended up a two-and-a-half-star match, but five stars for calling it in the fly. They've done well. Um, it's quite a... Quite a unique set of circumstances the two of them were faced with it. The hour delay, the ring issues, two minutes into the restart, the ring fucks up again. They, they've done the best of what they could. Um, I think it, it's got the potential with it kind of building it up too much that this could be 96's Malenko and Guerrero. Um, it's just about a shame, obviously, the circumstances of the match that they had. Sabu, I mean, the guy gives me the fear. To be honest, just watching some of the shit that he tries to do. Van Damme, is, it's, it's a, quite a hard thing to do to kind of christen yourself with the moniker Van Damme when you look like Rob Van Damme. Um, but he carries it off and I don't think there's many people walking that could carry that off and look like the muscles through Brussels. But he does and he looks like a star. He is a star. He'll be a star. As I say, I just hope we see more of this when they've got the gods on their side because I think it could be pretty special. Yeah, um, all credit to these guys for picking up from where they were. Um, I I can't think of any guys who I would either much rather or much rather not trust uh, to call it in the ring when it requires. <laughs> um, you know they're going to come up with something out of nowhere. That could be something quite spectacular or quite bloody dangerous, and we've got both of those. Uh, the rope snapping was so, so unfortunate, and I did really feel for them. Uh, I agree, Steve. There's no way they've been able to stop the match again. The crowd were restless enough. I mean, it was half past midnight at this point. If they tried to stop the match here, things could have taken on a very nasty edge. So they just had to go for it. Uh, the clear uh, stop for about five or six seconds after the rope, the rope snapped, where they were basically discussing what they were going to do. Uh, dramatically, that's a little bit clumsy, but I think we can give them that one. I have no problem with that. Uh, the action was good. Uh, they just decided probably to eschew a match with too much in the way of uh, selling or storyline development. And they just went out there and hit some bloody big spots. And great, great spots they were. Um, that spike DDT through the table was amazing. Uh, the somersault plancher didn't quite work, but that was, again, a, a, not for the last time, but a high degree of difficulty that I give them massive props for going for. Uh, that monkey flip onto a chair was staggering. They got that one absolutely bang on. There's lots of really memorable spots um, for the fans to go home happy with, and they needed that after being there for a very, very long night. Sabu winning on, on the delayed cover, as I said in the uh, in the write-up, that surprised a lot of people. It definitely surprised me. I was expecting an RVD kick out there. Whether that was called on the fly or not, I don't know. 
And I know Sabu's finisher is basically an Arabian face buster, and this is one which he added a, a flip dive to. I'm still not ab- quite absolutely sure it was 100% a bona fide finish, but again, we've, we've got to cut them some slack on this one. I don't think we can apply the standard rules of uh, analysing artistic merit given the situation they're in. I think these two did the absolute best they could, and I give them a lot of credit for that, and they earned the uh, obvious uh, the thing at the end where they were both being stretched out. That was clearly an attempt to make sure that they were both being put over big in front of the crowd, and they got everything they deserved. So the match itself saved far from five stars, but they both really went for it, and they gave us a good show. So well played to both of them for that in very difficult circumstances. And that was our main event. So, uh, Del, your thoughts on Hardcore Heaven 96 and a score rating out of 10, please, mate. I stand by what I said at the start. I think it's um, one of the most solid shows I've seen for ECW. I like the start with the, even just the, the little things like bringing back Bob Ortiz. Um, the, the starting match with Shane Douglas and Mikey is a, a refreshing change. Started off hot. There was a good couple of bits in the middle. Obviously, for me, the the Sandman storyline I was a lot hotter on, so I imagine overall as a show that'll probably put my my score up a point or two for you guys might bring it down. The Jericho match was a highlight. I, I still like the gangsters. I thought they could maybe have done a bit more with them. The Baron von Stevie stuff was brilliant. The the main event they pulled out on the stops with what they could in pretty rough circumstances. I think overall as a as a two to two and a half hour tape it's probably a lot different for the live event, but basing it on what I'm seeing, I would give it a strong, solid 7 out of 10, Rory. Steve? Yeah, I think there was certainly three, you know, really sort of great matches on the card. There was some good brawls. The comedy was good, um, Stevie. Um, and as Del says there, you know, from what we saw, it was a solid, solid um sort of, you know, good event, shall we call it. Um, if you were in the live crowd, like I said at the beginning, it may have been a lot different, and I can see that people could have got themselves a bit sort of uh, restless um, with all the delays. Uh, but from what we saw and the way it was put together, um, I agree with Dell, and I would also give it a seven. Yeah, I'd go uh, a little lower. I must say, uh, actually, it's talking through the show like we've done today. I've actually, it's gone up slightly in my estimation. Normally, when I talk through the shows, um, uh, I dislike them more than when I watch them. But talking through this, it's uh, it's actually gone a bit better. So I'm up to a six and a half on this one. Uh, there were two excellent watches: uh, uh, the opener and uh, the Jericho match. Uh, the spectacle, in spite of itself, that was the main event, it would have been very, very different on a different day, but uh, it's still a must-watch uh, in relation to what two workers can actually do when the onus is on them to pull something out of the hat. Stevie Richards is worth most of the points on his own because I worship the ground he walks on. That there was some bad. The tag team stuff was a decent idea, poorly executed. Uh, the Sandman, Tyler, Angle... I didn't want to go there, and they didn't show it the right way they should have done. And then there was uh, Taz and Barrowlands as well. Which was... <laughs> <laughs> so all of all of that, including this, that we will no longer speak of, uh, I am going for for this event a six and a half out of ten, uh, a thumbs in the middle, just leaning up recommendation. Okay, to finish off our pod today, I'm just going to quickly go through uh, the hardcore TV for the 25th of June. 
Um, this is basically recaps of Hardcore Heaven. Uh, we get to see the Baron Von Stevie stuff again. And again, if you haven't seen it, please check it out. Uh, we get to see the Sandman caning, caning Joel Gertner. The only new footage we get is a brief fan cam footage of the day before Hardcore Heaven. Uh, a match between Sabu and Shane Douglas. Uh, we only get brief clips of this one. Uh, one of which is Sabu actually falling through a table. Yes, falling through a table. Um, we see RVD getting in the ring, hitting a brain buster, whilst Taz looks on. So Sabu Taz will definitely be coming at some point in the future. Uh, we then get the whole of the, the Douglas Mikey Whipwreck match from Hardcore Heaven. Uh, we then get the whole uh, Raven Stevie search, uh, followed by the Raven Gordy match. Uh, we finish up with the Sandman family stuff and Blue Dust. So to round things off uh, for this month's ECW pod, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Brian Pillman, uh, who we now know has joined uh, the WWF. Um, as you heard in the news, there was a great controversy about what he said or supposedly said um, about uh, the gangsters, uh, whether he used the N-word or in what context he actually did use it. And so we uh, haven't been able to uh, acquire footage of that interview. It wasn't shown on Hardcore TV to, to nobody's great surprise. So we have to be a little careful about what we say here. Uh, I'm going to include that in our general chat about Brian Pillman. Uh, Steve? Uh, I remember I was with you on uh, the March pod where we saw a, a lot of Brian Pillman and uh, we were very effusive uh, in our praise of him there. Uh, how would you sum up his uh, his ECW uh, four months, uh, including the, the very unfortunate incident at Fight the Power? Well, my opinion hasn't changed. Um, you know, we don't know the full situation. We don't know what he intended to say or what he did actually say. You know, obviously New Jack took it. Um, that he was, um, you know, saying the sort of the wrong context and New Jack didn't like it. Um, but, and whether that ever comes out, you know, New Jack was, was given a chance from what we believed to sort of address it, which probably wasn't the right thing. Um, by all accounts, you know, he sort of had a bit of a rambling, um, promo, um, in the ring. But getting back to Pillman, I think he's been fantastic. I think, ECW has allowed him to develop this character that I struggle to see him taking it to the WWF. It'd have to be a very watered down version of it. Um, how many WWF fans are going to sort of realise, you know, what he's been doing in ECW? Um, I don't know. So it's difficult to see. I mean, Joey Styles sort of alluded to the fact that we might still see him sort of popping up in ECW, so whether there's some sort of an arrangement, but I, I think he's been um, brilliant. You know, the character development and, and you know, you, you just don't know what he's going to do or say next. It's been fantastic. I've loved it. Del? Very similar to Steve. Um, as an entity, he's something that you don't see every day. I've got similar concerns where... Dare I say there's more than some parallels between Pillman and Douglas coming for ECW, more renowned for their mic work than their ring ring work, different reasons, obviously Shane Douglas is a, you said a good hand earlier on, I would say he's proficient, he can hold his own, he's never going to set the world on fire with an in-ring point of view, it's his promo that made him the franchise, Pillman obviously coming off the back of the the automobile accident, you can see there's obviously going to be certain physical limitations there. I want to see how he gets on in WWF because it is guys like him and guys like Douglas that you want to see get 
that opportunity in a main stage. Um, the run that he's had in ECW, I think he's done very well. He's certainly different. He, he comes on the screen and your eyes are glued. Um, your ears are maybe a bit more pricked up these days and then you know what might be slipping through the net, which is obviously something that we, we kind of comment on too much, but it's, it's things like that that kind of make you worry about them going to a fed where it's, Almost cutting the balls off him, which is a big selling point for Pillman. How can he handle that? I don't know what kind of allies he's got up there, because I think that was inevitably the downfall with Douglas, but it's, it's minds like that you want in the business. We did see the, the subtle nod to Cactus after he departed with a lift looking for Titan Towers. Is it going to be something <laughs> like that we see with Pillman? Is it, is it something where we maybe could have a working arrangement with, with New York and Philly, which is something that I think a lot of people would love to see. Um, time will tell, but I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm happy for him he's got that chance. It's a, a case of maybe some bad timing, obviously coming back off of the, the accident, but fingers crossed, I hope he, I hope he takes the opportunity, I hope he gets the opportunity, and I hope he makes the most of it. Yeah, he probably deserves it. I'm going to repeat what I said a, a few months ago. That that promo, as we will now call it, at Cyber <laughs> Stadium. The Johnson. Like, nobody knows what's going to happen. 20 seconds later, the lights come on, and there's Brian Pillman in the ring, pointing towards every single ECW fan. I get goosebumps just thinking about that moment. Oh, it almost renders me speechless. It's when we have our debate for promo of the year in a few months' time, that, that one is going to take some beating. And from a bar as high as that, every time he was on ECW television, he somehow managed to come as close as he realistically can to matching it. Just everything, everything he said, everything he did, his interaction promos, his to-camera promos, even the ones which I didn't think the source material was particularly great. Um, I'm thinking about the wrestling with the pencil one here. Uh, he still made the absolute best of it, like he always does. Uh, I do think the business in general is coming round more to people like him. It's letting people who can talk go out there and be themselves. Now, whether he'll be able to do that in New York is a very, very moot point. I sincerely hope so. I do have my doubts, however, but he's left us with some great ECW memories. Uh, obviously, his accident was a massive, massive shame. It robbed us of the mooted match between him and Douglas, which I think could have been a pretty bloody good watch. Again, we've got some big hints of what that would have been like on the microphone a few months ago, and I reckon they would both have brought it in the ring there, and that would have been very memorable. But sadly, that's one... We're only left to dream of, I'm afraid. I do need to touch on the uh, what we're going to call the NWA incident. I say I haven't seen it, I haven't heard it. Uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, there was a lot of debates, uh, specifically in the pages of the Observer, that this wasn't actually a shoot. This this was yet another example of uh, Pillman and Heyman just working the boys. Again, I wasn't there. I can't say for certain. I don't think it was. This sounds pretty legitimate to me. The reason it sounds legitimate is because, from what we've been able to gather, Pillman's comment was actually fairly offhand, right? And that's not to say I blame New Jack for reacting the way he did, one iota. But <laughs> Pillman's one of those people who needs to keep keep his mouth on a latch. But then if you do that, do you take 50-60% away, at least, from him? 
perhaps you do. But he's left us with a lot of memories, and I just hope that Brian Pillman will be Brian Pillman when we see him in New York. The WWF's gain is very much ECW's loss, I can certainly say that. And that is as good a place as any to finish this month's podcast. Oh, we've gone long today, but it's been a lot of fun. I'd like to thank first Del Muir. Del, thank you very much, my man. Thank you, and a very good debut on the mic as a lead for the show. Thank you, done very well, Rory. It was a pleasure to be on board. Thank you, my man. And Steve Halverson. Cheers, my man. Thank you, and couldn't agree more with what Del's just said there. Uh, fantastic job. Uh, very kind indeed. I'd like to think I've got a slightly better English accent than Stevie Richards as well. Um, again, the, the bar is very high. Uh, yes, I have been... But you're bad for Rashky and Pless and shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Um, <laughs> you don't want to hear my German accent. No, you absolutely don't, know. That's his niche better. Uh, yes, I have been Rory McNamara. Thank you very much indeed for listening to this, which has been Volume 3 of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast for June 1996. Uh, I strongly recommend you catch up on our other two volumes this month. You've got Volume 1, looking at WWF, uh, tackling the King of the Ring pay-per-view. Uh, volume 2 is our WCW show, uh, looking at the Great American Bash. Uh, so this has been the ECW pod for June 1996. Uh, you can catch us uh, on Twitter, on at Wrestling20Years. Uh, we're on the Facebook page. Uh, do check out our website. Uh, you can listen to us on iTunes. Uh, by all means, leave us a review and a rating. Uh, be it good or bad and I'd say once again I've been Rory McNamara it's been a pleasure guiding you through this month's show and until next time goodbye <laughs>